there's an airship, right? Y'all built an airship. You named it the uh, Cugboat, I believe. Um, and the the Cugboat was uh, built from the wreckage of like a small yacht, basically. It sleeps like 25. But you used it to evacuate 40 monks from the top of a mountain um, that was under siege. And you sent them away with Bruiser and Gunner and Radford on board the airship while the three founders, Fox and Jeb and Owlin, uh, went down the mountain because they needed to get something from Thraxenhow, the frozen dragon, who lived in the mountain and who was under siege. And so he was down there fighting with the army and some other dragons and things, and so they needed to get down there and get involved. They had uh, some high-stakes, high-altitude adventures, which you can just listen to if you want, um, but they ended in... Jeb eventually convincing Thraxenhow to give him a frozen dragon's tear uh, by saying that he would worship it. And Thraxenhow was like, well, yeah, obviously I deserve worship. Here's a thing to worship. And and so they kind of established that and fled in the cipher truck. Uh, and so we begin tonight's D&D session, kind of knowing those details as they kind of flee off into the distance. Uh, we begin tonight's D&D session with Bruiser making a roll. Bruiser, roll a survival check for the landing. Okay. Rolling an apple cat. <laughs> Aren't we all? Uh, you said survival? Survival. Can I add proficiency? Yeah. You're proficient okay. in, in piloting. Uh, 18. 18. Uh, Bruiser, you are navigating the airship back down towards Stonefield. In fact, here, let me throw the map up on screen really quick just so people can can get a sense of what we're looking at here. So... Um, Stonefield's at the bottom left of this map. That's the east for those of you who know things. No, it's not. That's the west for those of you who know things about cardinal directions, which I obviously don't. Um, Thraxenhaus <laughs> Domain, which they're fleeing, is off screen to the west. So Stonefield is kind of the meeting point here. Um, it's about 90 miles away, so it's far enough from the army that if they've made it this far, they've probably evaded pursuit. Um, and that's where we we currently find ourselves. Um, as the the thrusters kind of roar, uh, firing straight up into the air, um, and kind of holding the the belly of the bulbous cug boat against the ground just outside Stonefield, from the cockpit, Bruiser and Radford, uh, you look out into the approaching night as a small silver cipher truck comes speeding towards this aircraft from the west. Fox, roller survival check for the high speed driving. Oh boy! And you are not proficient. <laughs> What? What are you talking about? All right. So, a nine. Pretty good number. A nine. <laughs> Great. Uh, alone in the back of the cipher truck, Fox and um, Owlin are sitting in the front. Jeb has created a sort of cushion out of dirt and magic to protect the fragile frozen tier of Thraxenhow. For the immediate future, uh, the, this cushion is enough to insulate the tier, although eventually he'll have to figure out a solution to keep it cold. But right now it's keeping it cold enough because it's already frozen. Um, Jeb, I would love you to give us a small word picture of Jeb's experience as the cypher truck thunders none too gently towards the cugboat and Jeb tries desperately to prevent the tear from breaking or jarring too heavily in the back. Yeah, so, um, you know, like, imagine, imagine a waiter on a sailing ship and uh, holding a plate with a glass of water on it and the ship is like rocking back and forth and he's kind of doing the thing where it's like his body is going everywhere 
but the but the plate is like staying level with the glass and so he's like holding on to the crate and he's like standing up in the back he's kind of braced himself but but as everything's like jumping up and down he's like doing his best to like shake this thing around to keep it like as stationary as possible Awesome. So Jeb's back there, like almost like uh, how a chicken keeps its head still when the rest exactly. of it moves. He's just back there exactly. trying to hold this this poor container steady. Um, as you know, uh, Owlin, bring us into the conversation in the front seat. As Fox is driving, Owlin's trying to navigate. The sun is rising directly ahead of you. It's in your eyes. It's hard to see what's going on. It's you know, there's just this whole mess of of everything. You're kind of emerging from bad weather into muddy rained on road like you know bring us into that conversation uh i think if we go west this way we will hit uh yep need a little work that's awesome get a tune up for this when we can As the truck pulls to a halt in front of the Cugboat, you get your first real chance to admire your work. Uh, on, on constructing the Cugboat, that is. A clear curved dome protrudes from the front of the craft, housing a small cockpit. And behind that dome stretches perhaps a hundred shins of main deck, the flat wooden top of the Cugboat. At the aft end of the vessel, that's boat language for back, at the aft end of the vessel... Uh, there is a squat wide room with a steel fence around the top look- serving as a lookout's nest. Beneath that tiny little tower, about halfway down the ship, the aft balcony juts out, complete with a wooden railing. On hinges, the entire aft balcony can lower to a 30-degree angle, creating a ramp that you can use to climb on board or load supplies. The belly of the cugboat sticks out to the left and right in one smooth curve that stretches under the craft, giving it the appearance of a horseshoe from behind, with the flat side at the top. As we discussed last week, you're loath to leave the cipher truck unattended, and for that reason, you've chosen, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, players, to send Jeb and Gunner to Gaim with the cipher truck while the rest of you take to the skies to search for K and complete your other objectives. Is that right? Did I get the people right? I believe so. Okay, great. Um, So they'll be taking the frozen tear back to Gaim to wait for pickup. That also means that Jeb can just magically keep it cold with Ray of Frost or whatever he wants to use to to achieve that for the whole drive. So that's great. Um, and Jeb's attuned to a rod, so no issue with wingle digits there. All good. Um, so let's zoom in on that farewell briefly. Use this opportunity to, as you're entering the scene, you're all standing right in front of the, the loading ramp of the Cugboat here, um, and use this to give us a short description of your character post-battle. How has their attire or demeanor changed if necessary, and, and all that sort of thing as they, as they split. Whew. All right, um... So, uh, Jeb, uh, here's the clutch. What? Here's, here's the... I can't hear anything. Like, this, it's like rattling around in my head back here. Fox, um, should you really be giving a tutorial on the cypher truck, given how you pulled up here? Well, and also, just Uh, to... You mean in one piece? I'm, I'm gonna be driving it, because he's gonna be... you're gonna be driving. I mean, yeah, he's gonna be keeping the tear cold. Okay. Okay, well, Gunner, uh, here's the clutch. Yeah, I'm. I was there when Bruiser <laughs> drove it. I uh, here's remember, the, here's... remember when we did a whole thing string of heists, and Bruiser <laughs> was the one driving it, and I was in I there just, too, and I watched listen, him do it. 
I'm Listen, just trying Gunner, to what? think of something to say where I can keep talking to you and maybe you won't leave right away. So can you just do me the favor and <laughs> pretend you don't know how to drive it? Well, I, you know, I not want to get touchy-feely necessarily, but I appreciate that. And it's not, it's not going to be too long, you know, till we see each other again. It's going to be fine. Like, yeah, we'll uh, be fine, Fox. We'll no, be in I, an airship. Sorry, I know you'll be fine, Gunner. I'm, I'm worried about my, my dear baby, the cipher truck. Aw, that's sweet. Oh, oh, the cipher truck. Well, why yeah. were you driving her like that? <laughs> I was driving her the way she wants to, wild and free. That's true. Hey, Fox. Yes. Um, I have something for you. Oh. And Jeb, uh, looks a little, a little tattered in his clothes you know we've been through a lot the the edges of his jacket on the bottom are kind of torn up like the seams coming loose a little bit it's kind of looks like a like the the frayed ankles of a pair of jeans um and he takes off his hat and plops it on fox's head and kind of pushes it down a little bit oh I want you to hang on to this for me and give it to me when we get to the other side. Uh, you're you're just going to be driving the cipher truck, right? It's a little ways to game, and we already established that Gunner is going to be driving the cipher truck, but I just know you don't like heights, and you're going to be up really high for a while. And I think, you know, I don't know. Just felt right. Hang on to it for me. Keep it safe. Something to keep focused. Oh. I mean, if you don't, don't want me. it, that's fine. I mean, I didn't mean to make it like no, awkward I'll, or anything. I'll take it. Um, just don't make me come back after you, Jeb. Well, if I do, just promise not to kill me again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Drive safe. Uh, I know you're not driving. Yes, but... please drive safe. I mean, yeah. I, I don't drive the way I... Uh, well, I don't know. I thought I was going to say something like I don't drive the way I make explosives, but I do very precisely, actually. <laughs> so, A little explosives. Like a little put, 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 but not a boom, boom, boom. Yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> All right, you two. Gunner, um... You remember the hell we went through to get Jeb. Let's not set up a situation where we have to go through that again. And Jeb, yeah. I'll make sure to get this hat back to you, okay? I believe in you. That means a lot from you, Jeb. Thank you. Gunner's I'm gonna... going to uh, fabricate some springs. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, well... to, to keep this ride smoother. <laughs> Great. Uh, and then Gunner's going to hop into the driver's seat and uh, he's going to, he's he's wearing his normal attire. Um, at some point, uh, the white t-shirt that he'd been wearing o under his overalls, at some point during the events of the last couple days, the sleeves somehow got ripped off, so he looks even cooler. Um, but he, he gets into the front seat and before he closes the door, he uh, tosses his hat <laughs> out to no one in particular and 
unless someone actively tries to catch it, he's I mean, just gonna Fox toss just it kind out. Of like reactively tries to catch anything thrown in his general direction. Okay, and, so he uh, catches he's like, it. He's like, uh, I mean, it just seems like we were giving out hats for some reason. <laughs> so wait, Gunner. Oh, and okay. Bruiser will run to the uh, driver's side window and is like, Gunner, anyone driving a ve- uh, any vehicle really deserves top quality sunglasses. So Bruiser will hand him sunglasses for the car. Yeah. So there you go. Gunner, Gunner puts on the sunglasses. I think it's an upgrade, Gunner. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. Is Fox it- is going to walk up behind Bruiser and put Gunner's hat on him (laughs) (laughs) so is bruiser's new outfit style like just dom toretto chic like is that pretty much the (laughs) the vibe here i suppose so love it it is now gunner had a brown bowler hat so that's what you have what you have now nice uh drive safely gunner you you know listen to all the things i taught you and you'll be good to go and I'll listen to like what Fox said about, Don't, about the no. clutch or whatever. Nope. <laughs> hey, yeah, I know the where clutch. the pedals it doesn't do are. Anything. It's a useless pedal. <laughs> That's what they say. All right, let's go. All right. All right. He yeah. gives the car a pat pat and then steps back. And as uh-huh. you kind of split off in different directions, um, the rest of you head back onto the cug boat. Uh, Bruiser heads back to his place in the in the cockpit. The rest of you just stay on that rear balcony, at least for this brief moment as, as you begin taking off. Um, the Cugboat's thrusters stop firing, but the ship, weighed down as it is, doesn't actually climb on its own naturally like it should. The wood that you've used to construct it is, is naturally buoyant, but because it's overweight, you still need to use the thrusters to get back to altitude. And so painfully, slowly, you watch as the two thrusters mounted to the left and right side begin very, very slowly rotating 180 degrees so that instead of being aimed straight up, they click, 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 rotate around until they're aimed straight down. And then they fire back up again, now lifting the cugboat lazily back up into the air. (laughs) These thick kind of clouds of um, smoke and dust being kicked up by the force of them. They don't actually burn fire. They burn wingle digits. Um, But just being so close to the ground, you know, little grass and dust mites and stuff are being kicked up. And so there's this kind of huge puff of everything that kind of curls around the the cugboat and helps sort of obscure its takeoff. Um, You head back up into the air and into the thick clouds that are blanketing the sky. And so although the sun is is rising and it's, you know, it's day, you're eventually obscured by that thick cloud cover um, until the cugboat will kind of pop out on the other side as it reaches altitude and the thrusters move to more of like a 45-degree angle to give you some forward momentum. Uh, and that's pretty much the prelude to our adventure continuing. But before we know what it means, we need to talk about one other thing. Uh, we need to talk about travel and the cost of travel. Uh, so I've been, I've been looking into the speed, uh, and I've done my best to take all the math out of this part for you so that you just have the easy numbers instead of having to count them. Um, my understanding is that your goal is to start by going to Gaim and offloading the monks. Um, okay, great. So to do that, and also picking up Laredith. Yeah. Wash, you have a hand up. What's up? 
Oh, I just wanted to interject and say that travel and the cost of travel is one of the books of the Jebediah Peppermint Chronicles. There we go. <laughs> that's yes. a good one, yeah. Um, so I started with a, a normal sailboat, something that's propelled by just the air currents around it. A sailboat travels 24 miles in a day in D&D. I rounded up to 30 because 24 is a stupid number. So your <laughs> airship, without any thrust, without using any wingle digits, can travel 30 miles a day. You've got flaps and a rudder. You can totally steer up there, and you're just kind of... Um, you're, you're just kind of subject to the whims of the wind, which is probably another Jebediah Peppermint Chronicle. Mm-hmm. Um, How many miles in a day can you cover on horseback in D&D? I don't know. I hadn't looked that up as part of this math. Oh, I'll, just, um, I'll Google it. Yeah. The thrusters, therefore, um, I compared more to a large ship with a team of rowers. Uh, the thrusters can get you up to 500 miles a day. Um, when I pull our map back up here, this map of Urida, one hex represents 30 miles. So the airship travels one hex per day naturally, or it travels six hexes per day at full, like full power thrusters. Um, you are 30 hexes from Gaim. So either 30 days at one hex per day naturally, or five days at full thrust. However, your ship is overweight. So right now it will take seven days at full thrust to get there using the thrusters. Um, I did the math again on how many wingle digits you have. I gave you a very generous amount, something around uh, 70,000 wingle, 67,200 wingle digits that you have, like between what you were able to offload from the cipher truck and whatever. Um, Alan has about 7,000 on his person somehow as well. I don't know how that works. Let's include that in this count then. Um, Basically, (laughs) pooling together your available resources, you have enough wingle digits for seven days at full thrust. Um, so, So you can make it there except that overweight, the engines have to work harder. So what you have is five days of full thrust, and you need seven. So there are, there are um, basically 12 hexes unaccounted for. However, I'm going to let someone roll to make the thrusters more efficient. Somebody can tune those thrusters if they're willing to repel from the side of the ship, get down there, and like tune. That can be one of the things we can do. Um, Alan would, Alan would, yeah. So that'll be that'll be an option for you once we get to to the adventure. But I just want to kind of set the stage for what you're working with here. So you're covering 900 miles, and you've got um, for sure you're going to spend five days doing it. And then the question is, do you have 12 extra days of being propelled naturally, or can you do this all with your engines? So all you need to do is roll some artificer checks to figure out how you tune the engines. Um, and that determines whether this trip will take you se- uh, five days and then 12 days of drifting or whether you can do it in um, seven days, basically tuning the thrusters so that you're not being penalized. And how many days overweight. of drifting if we didn't even... If you uh, didn't do any, it'd be try. 30. 30, that's a whole month. That's crazy. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> didn't you say these thrusters could also burn conventional fuel? No, I gave you the option last week to decide which of those two things they burnt, and you didn't take it and make a decision, so I chose for you when I did my prep for today because I realized I needed I to know. I think wingle digits make sense, so... It okay, does. never um, mind then. And you anticipate, for what it's worth, you anticipate finding another 60,000 wingle digits in your coffers when you get back to Gaim based on Joffrey's last reports that you saw. Cool. Um, so... That's, that's what's nice about having a business. That is nice. It yeah. is true. It's being a biz. It has multiple revenue streams also. So now that we've knocked mm. that math out of the way, we zoom back out to the ship taking off into the clouds and the scene's cool and cinematic, and you know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> it means it's story time at the Wing Badger Tavern, and we will be right Woo. back. Sunir. Gontos. Kotex. 
Awara. Long ago, the four ancients created a world in harmony. Then, everything changed when the chat emped magic. Only Kelnor, master of good vibes, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. Two years have passed, and four adventurers have discovered a conspiracy, a company selling magic. And although their roleplay is great, they have a lot of XP to earn before they're ready to save anyone. But I believe they can save the world. Let's meet our adventurers for tonight's Airborne Adventure. Hello, I am Jake, and I play Alan Woodrear, the Azamar Barbarian Artificer, who will be featured, it seems, more prominently in this adventure, but I also play Gunner, the Hematitian Rogue, uh, who we just witnessed uh, embark on his own little thing at the beginning. So there you go. Hello, I am Cleo. I play Fox, uh, and just Fox, as far as I'm aware currently. Um, I did play uh, Riley before, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, you're going to have to go back and watch that. I am a rogue bard changeling, and uh, I'm going to have to get over my fear of heights very quickly. Hello, I am Trevor. I play Bruiser the inquisitive rogue winged badger which is a homebrew race for those new here um he is most definitely not afraid of heights and loves flying and the adventure of it all yeah i'm wash i play another homebrew race character uh jebediah peppermint the mole folk gun wizard who spits fire and inspires spit but tonight i think i'm going to be playing radford the white dragonborn monk um because he's actually on the ship where all of his peeps are. And you know what they say. You gotta be where your peeps are. That's that's what they say. And I'm Josh, your Wing Badger Game Master. I play everybody else. Uh, without further ado, let's get back into the adventure here. So as the ship is climbing through the clouds, the sun is rising on the horizon. Um, the <laughs> Rising on the horizon. Uh, the, the three of you, the three of you being Fox... Um, Alan and Radford are standing on the rear balcony of the ship. Uh, the rear balcony in particular, uh, like I said, it kind of juts out from behind. So it's the full 30 feet wide. The ship is about 30 feet across from left to right. Uh, you've got a hand up. Yes, Cleo. I am not sitting on that balcony. Are you just like rushing in as fast as you can? <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as we got more than like 20, 30 feet off the ground, Fox was like, this is cool. And went inside. Okay, so uh, two of you are standing on the balcony where a wood railing <laughs> prevents creatures from falling off. It's about 50 feet long, 30 feet wide, um, and it extends just far enough back that if you're standing at the very back of the railing and you crane your head up, you could see a creature standing in the nest way up above you. Um, however, Fox has rushed across the 50-foot the balcony and is uh, fiddling with a giant uh, steel door that has one of those huge like circular, like you see on bank vaults, um, this is mm -hmm. the, the hatch. It's an airlock because the inside of the ship is pressurized. And so Fox, um, you successfully, you start pretty, pretty low in the air. And so you're able to successfully open this cause there's not a whole lot of air pressure fighting back against you yet. Um, so you open that, get into the airlock, seal it behind you and open the inner door. You find yourself standing on a, uh, like a lushly carpeted spiral staircase. The stairs are pretty steep. Um, but nonetheless, you find yourself uh, kind of standing there and 
you can go up or down. Um, Fox looks up and down, takes a deep breath, kind of grabs the brim of the hat that Jeb gave him, Lick. and and rubs it a little bit, and uh, he's like, "All right," and he's gonna head to the mess hall. Um, on his way, he looks down and. This entire time, he's always used his magical armor to change to however he feels. And lately, he feels like he's been really kind of just digging the chill vibe, especially right now because it's a distraction from being thousands of feet in the air. And so he he's definitely taken on a more monk-like appearance, um, not in the same colors, but in the same style um, as the House of the Rising Sun. And in case, using red um, as its primary color with highlights of white underneath. And moves in and sits down. He's like, I'm just going to find something to eat. Sure. Uh, so Fox heads across. It's basically, you know, it's only a couple steps to get across the staircase because even though it's like, it's opulent, it's fancy. This was a like a pleasure cruise, basically. So this was a yacht for rich people. Um, so there there are still, you know, uh, vestiges of it being really nice and fancy, even though it's been hastily repaired and it's smashed against a mountain and all that stuff. So anyway, there's there's some carpet in the stairs. You step across the landing instead of going up or down. You go directly across from the aft balcony and you find the door to the mess hall. It's just kind of your standard you know wooden door it's uh it's no no like creaking on the hinges you know the floors are still carpeted so it slides open nice and smoothly um and it reveals the mess hall the mess hall is the full 30 foot width of the craft it's maybe 60 feet long um and it features a long table down the center with bench style seating on either side of it so that leaves just enough room along the walls for a creature to walk comfortably without bumping into chairs Hanging from the ceiling are several broken wingle-digit-powered light fixtures. These were one of the things we opted not to repair in our haste to escape. And a few of the more um, industrious monks have actually hung just some old-fashioned oil lanterns from these. So the room has kind of a flickering warm light as you walk through. Um, you take any seat at the bench. Uh, you kind of, you know, you inhale the smell of food. You can see the flickering light kind of dancing around. It's pretty cozy and warm in here. And uh, before long, the, um, the table in front of you is covered by a small plastic tray, which is brought out by a towering giant of a creature uh, who has been working away in the kitchens. Uh, this is the mountain, uh, seven feet wide, six feet tall, if you recall. Um, and so even <laughs> though the room is technically like there's enough space to walk without bumping into chairs for the mountain, he's still weaving uh, to get where he needs to go. But he sets down a tray in front of you, and you can see that although... It's a, you know, a meager meal of probably like some dried food stuffs that they took from the Sunset House, you know, stuff that can be packed in ice and it'll just last a long time. Um, and maybe like a bowl of, you know, broth soup where there's not a whole lot of other substance to it. But he looks down at you very proud of himself at what he's made. And you can see the food is like at least prepared well, um, even if there wasn't a ton available. And he just gives you a big thumbs up and a grin. I, I give him a thumbs up back. Yeah, I'd he seemed to be a half decent cook. He pats you on the shoulder enthusiastically, which because he's so large, kind of like, you know, makes you kind of judder in your chair a little bit. 
Um, and Whoa. yeah, my camera just died. That's okay. Um, and kind of like makes you shake in your chair a little bit. Um, but then he walks away from you, leaves you to enjoy your meal. And, um, it, that, that's what you're doing. Uh, is Fox doing anything else as he eats or should we cut to the other characters? Uh, I can cut, yeah, cut, go ahead and cut to the other characters. Sure. Fox is just going to relax. Yeah. We cut back to the aft balcony where Alan and Radford are standing together. Aft. 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 It just has a weird mouth feel. Uh, it, it is uh, a bit of a strange terminology. However, in my experience, the naval parts of any sort of uh, armed forces generally has a lot of different terminology uh, than what us uh, infantrymen did uh, when we were a part of, or when I was a part of the armed forces. There was a, we, we, when we would meet up with the naval uh, Wait, folk. You were a soldier? I didn't know you were in an army. Oh, yes. Um, I guess, yes. We, you know, uh, I I don't bring it up very often. Um, a lot of the uh, founding members of Four Guys know it about me, but I guess it seemed more relevant back when we started the company as opposed sure. to now. Um, but yes, I was uh, I was once in the uh, in the service. Um, I was in the the. Are you nervous in the service? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, it felt like the right thing to do at the time, and um, I was in the uh, the one of the regiments that marched on um, on Rust Free back back uh, when that was. You know, it feels like ages ago. Um, mm-hmm. But shortly after after that, uh, I became I went back more to my researcher uh, roots um, because before I was enlisted, I was obviously at the library studying to become uh, a scientist. Um, and then uh, when the city became stainless, um, I kind of got back in touch with that side of myself, and that led me to uh, meet the other founders. Oh. But, so is, uh, it like short, is it short for after? Or is it short uh, for like... Well, I, I, you see, I was in the infantry. I was never in the Navy. So I am not sure what mm-hmm. it fully means. Um, however, I do remember some interesting interactions with uh, other people that were in the Navy. And they had completely different terminology for almost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Than what we were used to yes it, it, i think um just the shorthand you know short you know things like aft and bow and different words like that that are one syllable and easy to communicate um while uh makes sense the seas are chaotic and stuff yes i think that that yeah. makes um communication very much easier for them as opposed to we had a lot more of hand signal um type mm. communication that we were Stealthy. trained in yes yeah. um and so there's different ways of communicating efficiently but radford kind of leans forward with his elbows on the balcony and just kind of hunches over and stares off into the horizon you know boss it's uh i'm trying to think of what i never thought we'd get this far and i don't really mean Mm. like i didn't have faith in us or anything but you know how when you when you put a plan together and you know you you got a goal or a dream that you're chasing kind of forget when you're in the middle of it to visualize what it's like when you're there Mm. it just i don't really know what's 
coming next. Like, I feel like finding K is just around the corner. And I mm -hmm. kind of don't know what to do about that. Kind of nervous. I need dexterity saves from everybody. This is our first complication die of the night. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a no-no for me, too. 19 for Bruiser. Alan had a three. That's a straight three on the die. Oof. 11? I had a two on the die plus tough. I got an 11. Only Bruiser passed. Um, the others Wait, of you... didn't you say Bruiser had an 11? No, Bruiser 19. got a 19. Fox had an 11. Oh, my bad. Um, my bad. So, Bruiser, ignore this part. I'll get to you in a second. Um, okay. The other three of you... Uh, all of you are thrown from your feet as the ship hits uh, some turbulence. Um, there is a railing on the aft balcony, and you are able to grab it, Alan and, and Radford. It's not like you're thrown from the ship. Um, but just coming out of the clouds, the ship hits some turbulence, whatever. Bruiser, um, you are able to react quickly enough that the ship does not drop or lose any altitude. Um, and you're also, because you react so quickly, you realize that what you've experienced is actually some kind of hiccup in the feed of Wingle Digits to the thrusters. One of your thrusters went out for a second and came back on again. Um, and so that's going to need to be addressed or this problem will probably continue to happen. Um, so that's okay. a bruiser thing. So yeah, um, I guess talk to us about bruiser's immediate response. He's the only one in the cockpit right now. And then oh, we'll cut Street back down here. to... Um, the other, yeah, B Street's in the engineering room. So he's okay. um, downstairs. He's the one who's feeding Wingle Digits to the thrusters. He's sabotaging the ship. Um, <laughs> so obviously we don't have like walkie-talkies or anything. but we Yeah, there we are sending call... stones mounted to the wall of the cockpit and the engineering okay. room. Unfortunately, they're not functioning because we left the onboard electronics out of our, our repair systems. That's right. Alan spent like because... one day on it, but I don't think it ever got finished. Would they work with the rod magic? Uh, no, because they were Wingle Digit powered to begin with. They weren't actual magic items. Wait, really? They, yeah, the oh, ship. The okay. ship was like its original systems were built on Wingle Digits. That they must have been early adopters. That's actually would Alan have noticed that previously? It would probably yeah. have fascinated and confused him. Yes. Uh, yeah, you're you're well, asking the right questions. I'll put it that way. That fascinates so, and conf and confuses hmm. me right now. Yeah. Um. I guess there's no system or way for Bruiser to communicate with anyone, so we'll have to just stay in the cockpit to control the airship until someone comes up. I guess he can't leave it. Okay, it'll steer itself away. Like I don't think yeah, that makes sense either. Um, probably not. No. Um, okay, so then let's cut back uh, to Alan and Radford, who are talking about how it was. Radford was saying he was trying to visualize his goal, but he kind of lost sight of like, oh, but we might actually do it. You know. Um. Alan at the at the turbulence or the shutter, Alan will actually look over the side and check on the um, thrusters. Does he notice anything off about them or anything like that? Roll in um, artificer tools check. Yeah, yeah, I bit my tongue. Ah. Uh, sorry, one second. No worries. That's an eighteen. Uh, Alan would recognize what happened. Yes. Okay. Uh, 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 I, I'm sorry, Radford. I need to go check in with uh, Brad, uh, Bradford Street down in the lower decks to make sure that um, the Wingle Digit feed 
to the uh, thrusters is going all right. Um, otherwise, I may need to go down and repair them, I think. Uh, okay. But okay. Um, we, I would love to resume this conversation later. Um, sure. I think yes. I'm going to, while you're doing that, I'm going to go up to the top and take a look around. Perfect. Uh, I will, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Okay. And Alan will go down and check on Bradford Street, make Certainly. sure that... So That's Alan heads good. through the hatch, through the uh, the airlock, that big steel door onto the opulent main stairs, and he spirals down one level. So there are two decks um, within the hull of the ship, and then there's the main deck, which is just the surface on top. So Alan walks in on the first deck, goes down one floor, and then he walks in through... Uh, well, actually, okay, you have two options. If you look at the map here, the cabins are not connected to engineering because rich people don't want to hear all the boiler room noises. So you can go across the main deck or you can crawl through the underbelly. Um, also chat for your information. I sent a, a little uh, side view map of the ship to the, the players earlier today. You can see it in our discord, but we're going to describe everything to you. So without it, it's not like you're going to miss, miss any exposition or, or get too lost. You'll miss out. Join our discord. <laughs> Alan would would walk through the main deck because he hates crawling through the underbelly. Okay. He's done it already to try to yep. like, put so the Alan ship together. So Alan and Radford and actually that. walk upstairs together then, um, heading oh, towards funny. the main deck. Uh, the two of you go up the spiral <laughs> stairs, push open awkward the... awkward thing where you're like, all right, well, we'll see you later, and you both walk in the same direction <laughs> for a while. Yeah, I mean, you're Alan's new on the ship. He doesn't really know his way around yet, so it's it's fine. Alan helped build it. What are you talking about? Uh, that's fair. Um, anyway, you get to the top of the <laughs> stairs spiraling up, and there is a hatch, another airlock hatch that's set as a trap door. So again, the hole's pressurized. So you go into the hatch, close the floor behind you, and then open here. the roof, which is another trap door onto the main deck, another big steel door. You swing that thing open. It lands with a clang on the, the wooden deck. You step out, and Alan leaves towards the fore of the ship, heading towards the front. So he's got, you know, 90-ish feet of deck to cross. Radford is going to um, stay at the back of the ship and climb up the ladder to yeah, the nest. Yeah, he's going to the nest. That's yep. where he's going. Uh, we'll come back to Radford. We're going to follow Alan first. Um, Alan goes across the main deck. Um, the main deck is a, you know, it, it's fairly flat and boring. I mean, it's around 100 shins of thick wooden planks. It's laid over top the ceiling layer of steel, um, the, of the pressurized part of the ship, and then it's joined with thick metal rivets, which create these large bumps along the deck at regular intervals. There's just a simple wooden railing on you know both edges, stretching the length of the deck, um, so it joins the the room at the rear of the vessel with the cockpit at the fore. Um, the deck's thirty feet across, just big flat square. And there are large steel eye hooks distributed across its length so that you can lock a rope harness in if you need to rappel down the side of the craft for repairs for whatever reason. You bypass all this, Alan, and you head straight to the cockpit, which just it's just a wooden wall and a door. Um, so you can just open the door and, and head into the cockpit, which you do, uh, which brings you into the room with, um, with Bruiser. Uh, the cockpit besides that wooden wall is all lens. So like mm -hmm. the, the walls, the ceiling, it's just one big curved lens over top. Of, it's almost like a right angle bracket, right? Like there's a wood wall at the back and there's a wooden floor with a hatch in it to get to the crew access to the, the working side of the ship. And then there's just lens everywhere. So you have an almost unobstructed 360 degree view, except for straight down where the floor is. Um, Bruiser stands in the middle of it, surrounded by, you know, knobs and dials and levers and things. Um, and Bruiser, you hear Alan open the door, you turn around and see him walk in. 
Oh, Alan, thank, thank goodness you're here. Um, there's a problem with one of the engines in engineering. Uh, do you want to take control or and I go check it out, or do you want to go check it out and I'll stay here and keep the ship steady? Um, yes, I actually came here to let you know about it in case you didn't know, but obviously you do. And uh, I will go check it out and report back to you on what needs to happen. I sadly suspect that with the rush job that we did putting this all together, that one of us may need to rappel off of the side of the ship and try to do some in-flight repairs, which doesn't excite <laughs> me too much. Um, I could do however, it. I, don't uh, I also could do it as well. I believe that um, you are more skilled at piloting the ship than I, um, so I'm, I may be better used uh, rappelling off the side of the ship. Uh, however, I do acknowledge that uh, you have the ability to fly, and I do not. Uh, so there are d different risk factors going there as well. Um, um one other but, thing. Yes. Uh, I don't know if we'll have time while we're in the air, but at least when we ever can add or repair, like work on this more, we definitely need some sort of communication system between the cockpit and the engine room or whoever. Yes. Uh, I regret that in the one rush day I was able to work on the electronic oh, no. system, yeah. I wasn't really able to get anything working. However, um, in that time, and I'm sure you noticed this as well, it kind of confuses me. Um, it seems that a lot of the systems do run or did run on Wingle Digits originally in this ship, which surprises me as as I remember it. The Wingle Digits were introduced after the Darkening, and this ship would have crashed literally as the Darkening happened, um, or at least that would be my suspicion. Um, or at least that was my suspicion before. So the timeline of this ship being created as well as crashing um, seems a bit unclear to me, and I don't know if you have any any thoughts on that either, but it, it, it's been perplexing me the last couple of days. I haven't had much time to think about it, but it still is, is interesting. interesting. Um, if it was at full capacity or above capacity like we are, then it most certainly wouldn't have been just been able to stay up if it was running solely on Winkle digits. Hmm. I mean, we were able to get it running solely on Winkle digits. Um, yeah, we are doing like that it. now. Well, yeah. Uh, sorry. I misspoke. <laughs> um, that is all right. That's all right. It wouldn't have been able to stay afloat without, you know, magical thrusters. Yes, which is which is why I just think it's interesting yeah. that parts of it seem to run on wingle digits the, the timeline just confuses me a bit um Maybe especially if this is after. perhaps but um i don't know it's just quite interesting uh it, it makes me think that either i don't know anyways i'm gonna go check on the engine room and let you know yep um again <laughs> no no so alan's gonna head right back down to yep. The, yep the engine room um as uh, as Alan heads back down, Fox, um, I want you to roll a D20, count through your inventory, just loop around when you hit the bottom if you do, and like starting at the top, and whatever item you land on was either lost or damaged in your escape from, um, from the Frozen Fang. Um, so that's, that's this complication. Uh, Alan, you... Um, reach down to the floor. The, the cockpit's pretty cramped. There's only about 
10 feet of, of actual floor in it. So directly behind Bruiser, there's another hatch in the ground that leads to the crew stairs. So you reach down and just open that hatch and kind of slide down. And the crew stairs are not opulent. They are not fancy. This is entirely functional. They're little more than like hooks protruding from the hull of the boat. So you're on the inside of the sloping front hull and there are uh, basically these big iron loops coming out of the hull that you can uh, hang on to and, and go down. So it's like half ladder, half stairs, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and uh, you can follow the slope of the hull towards the crew quarters on the first deck or the four storage area on the lower deck um, or the tunnels that span the underbelly of the craft. So Alan's going to head down to the lower deck and kind of push his way through the storage area to get to engineering. Um, the storage area we'll just touch on briefly here. I'm sure Alan's not spending any time looking around. Um, this is the larger of the two storage areas on the ship. So there's one at the aft and one at the fore of the ship. Shelves line the walls. There's a small kind of five-foot corridor in the middle. It's pretty squeezed because, I mean, storage is at a premium. And then there's these thick steel hooks that kind of are anchor, or, uh, steel loops on the wall that you can strap down cargo to. A bunch of those have been torn free in the wreckage. So there's kind of like a scattering of sharp steel bits on the floor. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of wreckage and detritus and dust. The storage areas being at the front and back of the ship got the least attention in the reconstruction. They're not the part that smashed. So there is still a bunch of unexplored rubble here of whatever might have been on the ship in the past, papers thrown about, you know, boxes, whatever, that just there wasn't time to explore and dive into it. Um, Alan kind of pushes his way through, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty damp from all the like melted ice and pretty tight. He kind of gets, you know, maybe you get a splinter in an arm, you pull it out. You finally push through this room and all the junk on the ground. Um, and through that, you are able to get to the engineering room. The engineering room also cramped. Uh, it's an unusually hot room. It features several large hoppers of wingle digits with circuits that are labeled in Elvish script. Uh, but the language is not Elvish. It's clearly some other language that uses Elvish. Um, I don't remember if Alan's Comprehend Languages includes reading, so I'm going to bypass it for now, but you can let me know at the end of this exposition. Okay. Um, the, but anyway, so it's powering the various systems of the craft as well as a uh, reinforced storage chest for wingle digits to be used later. It also features backup controls for manipulating the angle and power of the thrusters and the flaps on the four fins sticking off of your ship in the event that the cockpit systems fail. Uh, so a similar set of levers and dials and buttons to what Bruiser is seeing up in the cockpit. There's also a stone of sending mounted on the wall that would be really helpful if only we had had time to fix it, but we weren't able to repair it. And in the middle of it, looking a little frustrated, uh, is B Street, Bradford Street. He is a winged badger. He's got his lumberjack's axe leaning against the wall in one corner. And he is uh, kind of, he, you know, he's, he's f- uh, up in the air hanging from a pipe. Um, the coming from a hopper of wingle digits leading to the left side thruster of the ship. Um, and he is, he appears to be trying to tighten a joint, but he doesn't have the body weight to like tighten it successfully. You know, like he's still a small creature. And so mm-hmm. as Alan comes in, he turns around and goes, ah, Alan, I'm so glad you're here. Can you give me a hand with this? I think this bolt came loose and I think it's interrupting the float. Like it's sticking into the pipe and we need to kind of reset it. Uh, yes, uh, yes, I can definitely help, and Alan will uh, move to help. And then also, Comprehend Languages does work on writing as long as you're able to touch it. Okay, great. Um, we'll come back to the writing in just a second then. Alan, make okay. an Artificer Tools check for me to use. You've probably got like a wrench or a ratchet or something that you can use to tighten down this pipe. Nat 20. Nat 20. Psh, 
easy peasy. Allen sees the problem, resets it, and he does it in such a way where he's like, ah, if we had left it this way for a few seconds much longer, then the shaking would have made it that I would have to go outside and adjust the thruster. But because I was here ah. in time, I was able to fix the problem from inside the craft, and I do not need to rappel down the wall Perfect. on the outside of the airship. So you get that taken care of. And B Street, you know, his... his uh, his badger face kind of dripping sweat, his fur looking matted, looks over you and goes, thanks so much, man. This is, this is not my area. And it's not like, you know, we have a whole lot of a, a manual. I mean, I was willing and I'm happy to help, but like, I'm a lumberjack, man. Like I'm picking it up as I go. And I really appreciate you, you know, stepping in to help me out here. Of course. Um, I completely appreciate you taking this shift down here. And actually, um, I, uh, would be happy to take the next shift down here if that if that works for you or if you need a break. Wow, I would love that, man. I've been awake since before the attack on the mountain, and I could really use some shut-eye. Yes, uh, please, go for it. Sounds great. And he uh, heads out the door, leaving Owlin in the engineering oh, room. Uh, as, he's, as he is about to head out the door, uh, make sure you let Bruiser know that the problem down here was taken care of and that uh, no no more need for repairs is necessary right now. I'll make sure to do that. Thanks. Perfect. Uh, and you hear his wings kind of flutter out and he just skips the pile of crap in the storage area by flying right <laughs> over top of it. Um, you hear at the very end, I've just rolled for him. You hear at the very end of the room after this big dexterous flight he takes, you hear a thunk, ow! Uh, and then he finally <laughs> leaves. Uh, he has bounced off a shelf, uh, leaving ah. Owlin alone in the engineering room. Um, Alan, you are surrounded by, like I said, you know, circuits and scripts and, and all kinds of interesting stuff. You realize that the language... This is Alan's theme music yeah, for being in an engineer group. It's for like sure. heaven for him. Um, Alan, as you're kind of looking through, you're taking it all in. Um, it's written in Darude, the, um, the the language. So Darude uses Elvish script, you've discovered. Mm. Um, but it, the language is that of the Darude folk, which are the wooden alternatives to the Hematicians, basically, or okay. the counterpoints, if you will. Um, and and the, the writing on the walls, at least in here, is just labeling the different circuits. So, you know, you gotcha. see one that says steering and one that says life support and one that says internals. And the internals one is the broken one that would do like the stone of sending and the lights and stuff like that. Um, you're pretty gotcha. confident that with enough time and your tools, you could repair this. It looks like everything you need is here. It just didn't have time to get hooked up and put together because you already okay. spent a day on it. So all the materials have been, you know, collated into the right place. You just didn't have time to get it all hooked sure. up. So if you want, you could use this this shift to kind of achieve that. Yeah, then Alan will do that while also making sure to pay attention to the other systems to make sure nothing is out of place or anything. Sure. Uh, like, you roll, know, yeah. keeping an ear out for yeah, anything, yeah. any sort of other problem. Roll another artificer tools check, and this will be um, the better you roll, the less often I'm going to roll complications for the next day. Oh, okay. And then we're going to cut to Radford Ooh. is on deck right now. Uh, middling roll, I got an 11. An 11. Okay. Uh, you do an average job, which makes sense. I mean, you're still like learning and tinkering and stuff. So you only have so much attention to give to like the, di the, the dials and the readouts and stuff. You know, who has time to look at gauges when there's something to be fixed? Am I right? Exactly. Uh, we cut from there back up to the main deck where uh, Radford, as Alan kind of walks off into the distance, we rewind just a few minutes into the past here. Um, you kind of stand there off to each side of you. Clouds stretch like an ocean, uh, looking almost like little waves or ripples. You know, the sky is completely covered by these clouds, thick gray clouds. Um, the sun has climbed over them, so it's plenty bright. Um, you can see whatever you need to see. Above you is a uh, nice calm blue sky. 
and you are facing towards the back of the ship or the aft, mm-hmm. as we've established. Um, the aft. That's right. Uh, at the aft of the ship on the main deck is the old spa. This was a pleasure cruise boat. And so there was sort of like a meditation spa type room that's been repurposed. But instead of going in there, you climb the ladder on the outside of it. There's a steel ladder and next to it, a single steel beam with a rope harness clipped to it that you can put on if you so choose. Uh, Does Radford use that or no? Radford has already established that harnesses (laughs) and and, uh, and, safety straps like that are completely unnecessary. So, uh, no, he does not clip it on. Sounds good. Radford uh, climbs up the um, up the ladder, doesn't clip into the harness. That steel, um, like, kind of railing with the harness on it just stretches up to the top and then forms an unbroken loop around the, the top of it mm-hmm. and basically gives you mm-hmm. freedom of movement in the nest. Um, instead, you find yourself standing on the nest. The nest is probably 20-ish feet in diameter, not quite circular. Um, it's, you know, it stretches the 30 foot width of the ship and then 20 feet front to back. So it's more of like an oval. Um, and as you climb up into the nest, you get, uh, the first thing you notice is how cold it is. Uh, the unobstructed wind, you know, blowing across the top of the nest is, is pretty cold, which for Radford and his white dragon heritage is probably just nice. It Um, feels really good, man. It's loud. The wind rushing by um, is is pretty loud and the air is pretty thin. If you were to do anything particularly um, strenuous, you might have to roll some constitution checks up here. And, you know, it's unpressurized. It's high altitude. But for the moment, you're just standing and that's fine. Um, the, the sun kind of illuminating the bed of clouds. And as you finish your climb into the nest, you look over and standing probably as Radford knew standing there, keeping a little bit of a lookout is mockery leaning against one side, wearing her harness. Um, and you know, just kind of, she's just looking off the back of the ship. She hears you climb up there, but she doesn't say anything. She's just looking. Had to wear a harness, huh? Where'd you kind of fall over the edge, huh? Hmm. Yeah, I see. I see how it is. It was simply prudent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, we sure still prudent. care about what is prudence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a whole Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so what brings you up here? Well, I was thinking of getting a little bit of a long time, but you know. Oh, I can go. Okay. You can take the no, no, shift over here in the cold and I could go inside where it's warm and there's food. I mean, I wouldn't want to deprive you of this beautifully chilly air for maybe at least a minute longer. Okay, I can stay. You see anything? Just clouds now. I was trying to catch a glimpse of what was happening, you know, where we left, but I think we're far enough away there wasn't much to observe. And she mm. kind of pulls, you know, she's she's a tiefling, so she's a fairly tall creature. She pulls the thick cloak that she's brought from the Sunset House tighter around her to kind of protect against the wind and the chill up here. Um, she turns to you. What were you looking for with your alone time? Yeah. Well, um, just the whole. Actually, I was thinking about this little orc village that I visited a long time ago. And, uh, and the pieces that I spent some time with there. I never told you about that, did I? 
I don't think so. But our time was pretty constrained on the mountain, you know? Yeah. You could tell me now. She sits down and kind of leans back against the railing, uh, which, because it's, you know, half the height of a creature, is pretty much just at head height for her now. Bradford will kind of lean back against the railing, kind of stare off into the into the clouds. My injustice was the death of Dorana. Do you remember Dorana? I do. Went off to uh, Arivale. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I got there, well, I really... Dorana meant a lot to me. You know, she took me in and trained me up. Well, you know all this, but when I heard that she died, I, uh, I, I wouldn't let it slide. I wasn't thinking about what was prudent. I just, I just didn't want her death to be for nothing. And I felt like I had to go and make sure it was for something. Well, you know, it's so Fenegal, he said, it's hard to be prudent when it's personal, no? As much as I dislike the wisdom of Solfenega, he does have it from time to time. And you shouldn't ignore somebody that you disagree with when they're right, just because you disagree with them. But anyway, when I made it to Arivale, there was a... Uh, found out that there was some... some resistance group there that was trying to fight against something, and decided the best way to do it was with a large amount of explosives and collapsed a large portion of the city. Just trying to stop whatever it was, regardless of the cost. And oh no, Mark, she was just there on vacation. She just wanted to see the jungle of songs and just didn't seem right you know for her to to serve the solace for so long and and to devote herself to justice and just go down like that anyway I found her trail picked it up and took me to a little orc town south of uh what's that one place the, that one human city that's like super sketch uh it sounds like you're talking about aspesh the whole the whole yes. nation of aspesh is pretty sketch yeah yeah half a month it's a little south of there across the river i uh i had to skirt through there it was wasn't so great of a place but I found, uh, I found them, a couple, a husband and wife, and I was going to kill them. And then I saw 
I was in the bushes, you know me. Super stealthy, that's me. They were fighting with a kid. Kid tore off. The little orc boy. And, uh... I don't know, it made me think that... There's always somebody above you, and there's always somebody below. So I decided to keep my cover and uh, just talk to them. I pretended to be a guest. They welcomed me into their home. And we talked for a long time. It was one of those things where, you know, you, you show up and you have a little tea. And before you know it, it's the middle of the night. And you're still talking about life and purpose and prudence and revenge and sounds familiar <laughs> kind of on brand huh they told me about Kay and uh, encouraged me to look deeper into the ways of Into the, into the, I don't know, I can't put it into words. Just to look into life outside of the regulations and the, and the strictures of society. I think for myself. And what did you do? I like to think I'm still doing it like to think I'm still trying to find my own way and it's you know when when you don't have the the guiding principles of like those strictures it's kind of hard to tell if you're what you're doing is what you're doing you know it's right it's difficult but I let him go. Had a change of heart. And I couldn't enact justice on them. And so I just never returned. I had to, I had to become a citizen of the world rather than a member of the the house. So I've been, you know, hunting and looking for things and trying to find Kay and see if he could help give me the answers I'm looking for. I kind of like the, I don't know, it feels more me, you know? To just uh, feel the vibe, read the room, and not always just feel like you got to do something. Sometimes not doing something is it's a good move. It's okay to go back on previous decisions because I don't know. Maybe they're a bit, 
Maybe they were rash. Maybe they were done with an evil heart. But maybe not. Oh, I mean, if I would have straight up murdered them, yeah, that would have been done out of blatant vengeance and an evil heart. Yeah. And I couldn't, because I... Because you're not evil. Well. Have you considered that what you did was exercise prudence? And that perhaps instead of failing your pilgrimage, you had fulfilled it? I mean, not when you put it that way. Maybe. I don't know. But I feel like I feel like every time you talk about prudence, it's just like, oh, but this, but prudence. I don't, I don't know. It's... I don't feel like it's more than that. It's the core virtue. The balance of prudence against inaction. You have to take the action when it's necessary, but you have to find a way to be prudent without falling for the right prudence but if is it's the virtue. Prudence, inaction if it's prudence is the vice. and inaction, and I chose inaction, you're saying that that's prudence. Like, I don't, no, no, I don't no. get it, Mark. You have to be prudent to a point, and then you have to take action. You chose to leave. That's the action. The prudence is determining that in this case, it was not just to continue on your current course, and you changed course. I'll tell that to Sol Fenega. I don't think I can. I'm pretty sure he died saving everyone. Getting us off the mountain. That's true. She tries for like the third time to light one of her cigars in the, the rushing wind of the nest and it still doesn't light. She goes, ah, never mind. And she puts it away. I keep telling you, a pipe is the way to go. It's got like, like the little, you know, it shelters it from the wind. Maybe I know so. you like those, but you know. I just think it looks cooler to have a cigar than to have a pipe. You're a pipe not makes wrong. you look like a detective. You know, I don't want to look yeah, like well, a detective. Yeah, well, I am. I am. But you you're know, a detective? You're right. Of course you de- I am. What do you detect? Well, now I detect vibes, but, you know, searching your quarry takes, you know, it takes smarts. It takes detectiveness to follow a trail. I'm a detective, okay? I detect things. I detect a little hostility right now against my core values and abilities. See? I'm not trying to be hostile. I'm just asking the question. I know. I think I think I'm really upset that Solfenica may be dead. Well, when when I'm this is mad. when this is over and you have found K or not found K, whatever, when we've resolved this adventure, you can go back and look for him. I'll come with you. I'd like that. There's a library there that needs to be restored. Oh, yeah, you did the thing with the books. Did you finish in time? I was already on the airship. I I was helping with the... Oh, great. Well, then we must go back to do that. Got to get all the books back. For for Poltavar. That's what he would have wanted. Yeah, for Poltavar. She takes a swig from a flask and passes it to Radford. Like, Poltavar. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I needed this right now. And he just takes, he just like drinks the rest of it. Great. She's just like, ah, that's fine. Thanks, Mac. You're welcome.
Here. And she, uh, as she walks past you to leave the nest, she slaps another flask uh, against Radford's chest oh. for him to catch. Hold on a second. And, and Radford pours a bit of the good stuff from his gourd into her flask. Take small sips, but I've been working on this for a couple years. Okay. Sounds good to me. And she uh, deftly kind of channels her her dancer background, hops off the, the nest, and just kind of makes the jump down to the deck. Um, As she's going down, Radford kind of pokes his head over the edge and is like, Hey, tell Owl, and if you see him, I'm up here. Just FYI. Okay, if I see him, I'll let him know. And Appreciate she, it, Mark. Um, she reaches down and, you know, hefts the, the main hatch open and heads down the main staircase, closes the airlock behind her. And wanders out of view. Just gonna scan the horizon. Go ahead and make a perception check. That's a natural one. All right. Yeah. You. I mean, you're drinking. <laughs> it's drinking, and yeah. I mean, he's just emotional. You know, vibe dumped all over the place, and he's yeah. just kind of prob- sorting through all of his. It's thoughts. probably that like he's looking without seeing thing. You know, he's still like he's still all in his own head. He's just looking there's, at it. There's also, yeah, there's also, he's got a lot going in his head right now. I mean, this really bad thing just happened to the Sunset House. And I think I think the reality of that is starting to sink in. And, and yeah, he's maybe sure. got like, he like lights his pipe up and like the bubbles are getting carried away. But his, it's shaking a little bit between his teeth. I gotcha. He's, yeah. Um, from the From the mess hall, Fox, uh, you are just finishing your bowl oh. of foodstuffs. I was gonna say, yeah? uh, speaking of finishing my food stuff, uh, I'm actually I'm helping. Uh, just got finished helping clean up after the few turbulences we had. Uh, <laughs> um, I I'm in the kitchen, uh, washing off my my robes. Great. And uh, cleaning some dishes, trying to help out. Yeah. And the kitchen is a, a pretty interesting room as well. You know, it's just beyond the mess hall. Um, just it's it's pretty cramped. I mean, it's 20 feet long, 30 feet wide. Um, there's a small sink uh, on one side of the room with a uh, cipher of prestidigitation for cleaning like forks and um, bowls and plates and things. And then right next to it, there's a slightly larger sink with a cipher of create water for things that you actually need water to wash them off. Um, and so you're but probably using work. that one to, to get, well, those ones, they're just the ciphers. You just cram some oh, digits okay. in there and it, and okay. it goes. Um, so you're able to just activate that one with 10 wingle digits, get some water and, and whatever, clean your stuff off. Um, okay. on the other side of the room, there are a bunch of cabinets lining the walls with heavy latches, holding them shut so that things like turbulence don't spill their contents all over the room. Uh, and there's a single non-functioning cipher of light in the ceiling. Instead, the room is lit by a swinging uh, lantern, just a normal oil lantern uh, suspended from where that that light fixture should be. Um, It's still pretty warm from the cooking, but there's no food sizzling on the stove at the moment, Um, and it's just you and the mountain in there at the moment, so the mountain is taking up most of the rest of the room. Um, he's, he's, He's probably doing the dishes, so he's in the tiny sink while you're at the big sink. Um, like cleaning off your robes and stuff. Um, but you're in there with him. Okay. I think that, I think that does it. Uh, yeah, sorry to get in your space there. Uh, he, he gestures, you know, kind of flaps his hand like, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, 
I'll see you later and keep up the good work. Your food's great. He gives you two big thumbs up. Fox, you could leave the kitchens and go to the crew quarters, or you could go back into the mess hall and through that back to the rest of the ship. I I think Fox is going a little exploring. Okay. And so first things first, he's going to go into the crew's quarters. Great. So Fox heads into the crew quarters. The crew quarters. Uh, okay. The crew quarters are another 20 by 30 foot room. This one filled with bunks enough to sleep six. So there are three bunk beds in the room. At the head and foot of each bunk is a small chest about the size of an adventurer's pack for personal items. There's a small bath area with like a curtain, you know, walling it off with another cipher of creator destroy water for bathing and another non-functioning cipher of light to light the room. Um, this room is not as nice as the others. Obviously, you're in the working parts of the ship now, so it's you know just just kind of wood floors. There's maybe a little bit of splinters here and there. Um, it's it's still pretty quiet. Like you're on the inside of the the pressurized part of the ship, so you don't hear the wind or anything like that. But you do hear like the normal like oh, I'm in the you know in the guts of the ship kind of thing. You hear you know creaking of the wood and stuff like that happening. Um, okay. And right now you're the only person in here. Um, except for uh, B Street, who is snoring softly on one of the bunks. Um, you can see that one of the bunks, there's been like just a, a stack of bedrolls has been kind of crammed into a pile to make it longer for the mountain because um, his feet <laughs> stretch past the end of the, the bunk on the ground level. Um, yeah. And then the... Uh, and, and besides him, there, there's nobody else in there. So it's just you. On the far side of the room, there's a door that leads to the crew stairs, that kind of iron ring ladder that you can use to go up or down. Um, or you can go back into the kitchens. For um, I'll, Fox will make his way through quickly, not to disturb B Street and uh, his street name, as we all know. Yeah. And I'll, I'll head to the, uh, the stairs and head down to the four storage. Oh, okay, great. Uh, you head down to the front storage area of the ship. Um, now, I've described this once, but we were moving through it pretty hastily. Um, it is the the larger storage area of the ship. So you go down one deck. You're on the, the lower deck here of the ship. Um, and there's just a five-foot corridor in the center of the room. And then the left and right of you are just like shelves line the walls. Now, these shelves normally would have like well-anchored and secured cargo on them, but after the accident, a lot of that cargo has just been strewn about the room. And so there's a lot of like broken boxes and, you know, dust is everywhere. You can see there's some different piles where like, oh, like, you know, a bunch of potions spilled and kind of sopped into the wood floor. And so now there's some stains there and stuff like that. Um, it's just kind of a, a big old room filled with dust and rubble from the accident. Um, and... The, okay. Some of the the goods in the room have been damaged by their exposure to the cold weather elements, but like surely something survived. Um, the the air feels kind of damp from all the melted ice, and it's pretty cramped and tight. There's little splinters in the wood and stuff, but it it is warm now. You know, you're you're still in the pressurized part of the ship, and so the temperature is is livable. Right. Okay. Uh, Fox kind of just surveys the destruction. Uh, it looks over it and makes a cursory note in the back of his head that he might just come back here when he has nothing else to do just to see if there's anything interesting. Um, but he's going to continue upon his tour. 
Okay. On the it far side of this room, leading back, basically back down the length of the ship, uh, there's a door that can be opened and it leads into the engineering room where Owlin is uh, busily at work tinkering with a little, um, like a little circuit box or hopper of wingle digits on one of the walls. Um, he's just in there, you know, kind of, kind of calibrating or whatever it is that artificers do. Uh, besides that, um, you step into the room and it's kind of like lined with dials and gauges and levers. Um, there are four or five large wingle digit hoppers that basically feed into the different systems of the ship. And then on the far side wall of this room, there is no door because that would be like through there would be the bunk rooms uh, for for the guests. So you don't you don't head into there. Anyway, you walk in. Alan is hard at work. Alan, you do notice Fox come in. I don't know whether you look away and acknowledge him, but you know he's there. Owlin is uh, like working on the thing and he's got his spectacles kind of in the way that you see like your grandpa reading a newspaper with where they're kind of slid down his nose so that when he's like looking at something close, he can like look through the spectacles. But when he's looking at something like further up on the wall, he's able to like look out them and he kind of like turns to look at Fox and is just like, uh, yes, hi. Um, have you been down here before? Uh, not really. I was kind of just taking the whole place and you know kind of scoping it all out it's eh, nervous habit i guess it's all right uh this this is and alan will kind of just gesture to the whole room this is uh engineering and um uh i i am currently just uh trying to see if we can get some of these uh wingle digit operated systems working throughout the ship uh you may notice that the lighting in here alan will point up i assume something similar to do with like there's a cipher of light in the ceiling but there's actually a gas lamp hung next to it to kind of get it similar to the kitchen maybe um i'll point that out and just kind of i'm just seeing if we can maybe maybe get these systems to operate um however it is uh a bit perplexing to me that these systems do work on lingle digits as our original theory as to when the ship would have been built and crashed uh, is outside of the realm of time that wingle digits as we know it uh, existed um, so I'm kind of pondering that as I work uh, not sure what that exactly means but it's quite interesting you know, artificer I'd, I'd really... tools check we're just going to see how much progress Alan's made I didn't really think about that until you you just said something. I mean, 22 on the check. It's done. Uh, it'll need okay, to be cool. like switched on, but you're pretty sure the wiring's all in place. Ah, what yes. If, so. What if Winkle Digits already existed and we didn't know? I That would be my theory as well. However, um, it would be quite interesting to me the fact that this, uh, we believe it to be at least a uh, K or Kalnorian uh, associated ship originally. Um, and I wonder what Kay's association to Wingle Digits could have been. Could he have been um, sort of duped by the Summit Banking Guild and Sir Topham Sav? Or um, there's a part of me that does not want to believe this, of course, or I entirely do not want to believe this, but was he perhaps associated with the development of Wingle Digits? It's entirely possible, but seems against Kay's nature or character. It's just quite interesting. I Wow, that's that's a lot to bring up. Uh, I, know... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to stress you out or anything. It's just I've been alone in here thinking about this stuff. Sometimes it, I just rattle off what no, I'm thinking no. about. Now you got me thinking about it. I mean, I'm, I'm 
like I said, I'm kind of scoping the place out, doing a little tour. So that way I can, you know, know where I'm going should things arise. But uh, one of the things I was going to do anyway was check out these little storage areas. It seems like mm. you guys didn't really have a chance to clean them up and no. perhaps had gone through it. Maybe there's like still paperwork somewhere mixed in there. Manifest, definitely. perhaps. There, there uh, definitely could be. Um, yeah, perhaps even documentation on the um, origin of the ship, where it was, you know, like you said, manifest where it came from, but maybe even when it was built and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know people of your ilk tend to make all sorts of documentation for the things they do. So I'd imagine whoever built this was pretty proud of it and probably wrote down every little thing about it. One would hope, yes. So, all right. But yes, that, uh, that sounds perfect. Um, and actually, I think uh, and Alan will kind of step back and kind of, you know, knock on uh, knock on wood, <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, and uh, say, well, uh, I think I'm ready to uh, try this out. And he'll uh, insert either a wingle digit or however many wingle digits he needs to do to kind yeah, of just toss like a handful into system. the hopper. Yeah. Um, and uh, he'll, he'll press the button and kind of give like a voila kind of hand gesture. The unusually hot room gets, you know, even a little bit warmer as more wingle digits are converted back into magic and there's kind of a zzz, uh, sort of powering up noise. Um, and then you bruiser in the cockpit, you hear like a sort of coming out of the sending stone in the wall as it sort of gets reactivated and then all of a sudden it snaps into tune with a zoom and you can hear Owlin saying, and I think, you know, as he's like just getting it turned on or whatever, um, you hear his voice through the sending stone. Uh, Alan? Ah, yes, Brucer. Uh, I, it seems as though the sending stones uh, are working again. Ah, yes. Um, are you in the engine room? Oh, wow. That is correct. And Fox is with me too. Hi, uh, Fox. Yeah. Hey, Bruiser. Uh, you're you're on my stop somewhere. I'm gonna be <laughs> stopping by. Don't worry. Cool. Well, if you need instructions, I guess you could ask Alan or me now. I'm I'm good. I'm. Fox exploring. seems to be effectively wandering. Oh, is this thing uh, on? Hello, Radford. There is in fact hey. a sending stone uh, anchored in the nest as well, in case the front and back of the ship needed to communicate. And so Radford, who's been sitting up there. Uh, suddenly heard your voices begin squawking. It's kind of noisy because of the wind up here. Sorry. Sorry if I'm talking really loud. Can you guys hear me okay? Uh, yes, we can hear you. Fine. Okay, Perfect. I'm going to leave the room now. Y'all have fun with this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe we shall. And Fox steps back out of the room and into the uh, four storage area. Are you going to start by digging through storage or continue kind of meandering first? I'm going to continue meandering. I'm going to head down to the stairs. Uh, but instead of going up, I'm going to look because I know somebody mentioned something about tunnels. I'm going to see if I can't find that little hatch or whatever at the bottom of the stairs. It has to be at the bottom of the stairs, surely. Sure. What's your um, passive perception? It is a number. True. I want to say way. it's not high. <laughs> oh, no, it is. Okay, 15. 15. Um, as you are walking out of the room, you do notice a couple details that are probably worth coming back to later. One of them is you notice a little document 
uh, folder that would be like attached to the wall. It's got a handwritten label on it that just says manifest and ship stocks. It obviously like okay. the the front of it kind of ripped off in the crash, but you can assume those papers are somewhere in the rubble um, of the of the storage room here. Those papers are kind of lying around ready to be found. Um, and the other thing you see as you're walking out is, um, you know, again, kind of hidden underneath the dust layer, or whatever, maybe as you're pushing something out of your way, you kind of uncover a little bit of a sigil or a crest on the floor. Um, it's not a sigil hmm. that Fox has seen before, for sure. Um, but just to describe it to you, it's a round sigil, it's circular, and it's, uh, it's a labyrinth or a maze that's designed in such a way that it's actually impossible to reach the center where a gem with 10 edges sits. Um, and that's what, uh, what you've got in the, in the sigil. So that's just on the floor, basically. It's like, you know, a, a big, you know, emblazoned, not emblazoned, but kind of like wood burned maybe into the floor a little bit, you know, like a subtle accenting element or like a stamp, you know, where you'd like stamp something that was part of your, your own work. Um, so you pass those and you head out the, the door back into the crew stair, which again is iron rings kind of descending down, um, and you do see just beneath the door that leads into four storage is uh, like a very small, it almost looks like a, a vent access or like a duct access. It's maybe three feet tall um, by three feet wide-ish. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of like crawling into a little air vent would be. But once okay. you once you wiggle through, uh, you find yourself in the underbelly of the ship. This thin crawl space, which is beneath the pressurized hull of the Cugboat, is called the underbelly. It's equipped with several holes that are covered by thick wood shutters with heavy chains that hold them closed safely. Um, and those holes allow crew members to observe below the airship if for whatever reason they choose to do so. It also provides direct access to the four fins that are sticking out from the ship. There's two little fins on each side with flaps like an airplane has. Um, yeah. It provides direct access to those fins that um, you can go through in case you need to like service the flaps or even you could go through there to get to the thrusters from beneath if you needed to instead of coming down from the top. Um, there's a number of iron hooks uh, here for anchoring a rope harness, just like there are on the main deck of the craft. Um, they're positioned as well as is possible, but in a crawl space, it's still kind of a hazard. And so there's still kind of little sharp edges that you would need to be cautious of if you were scuttling about really quickly. Um, and then you have access through the underbelly. You can get to aft storage, which is, again, the mirror of the storage area you were just in. So you can go the whole length of the ship and then come up in the aft storage room. You can get to the fore storage and you can get to the crew stairs um, from here, as well as the main staircase. There's a hatch in the floor at the base of the main stairs that lets you in and out of the underbelly. Um, um, so I'm definitely just speeding along uh, to aft storage. Uh, I am laying on my back, uh, okay. presumably just sliding um, and grabbing whatever I can to pull me while also kicking frantically while making sure not to look uh, down. That's why I'm laying on my back. Got it. Uh, the windows are not open, like it's, so it's dark in here. Um, oh, good. Or mostly dark because they're held shut by these big chained shutters. So it's not like you could just fall right out. You would have to loosen the chain and lower the windows um, they're, they're, it's not like a death trap. It's meant to be, you know, oh, you choose when you want to feel uncomfortable here down here. Sure. And from that... down here, you're not in the pressurized part of the, the ship. So you can hear the wind rushing by. It feels a lot colder than the rest of the, the craft does. Um, cause it's, you know, more just like matching the elements around the ship. Um, it smells like wood. There's probably little splinters, you know, nagging at you here and there. Um, 
I'm going to roll a tension die to see if you like scratch yourself up too bad. Uh, I was you actually, don't. Go ahead. I rolled a dex check uh, preemptively. Oh, sure. Uh, I got a 19. That. Yeah, so you do great. You navigate through there pretty well. Even scuttling on your back and feeling a little bit out of sorts, like dex is kind of your thing. Uh, and so you navigate just fine through this area to the other end. Where are you going to surface? Are you coming up in the main stairs, in the aft storage, or somewhere else? Aft storage. Aft storage. Uh, with a little bunk, you uh, pop the um, the trap door open, or you would, except you feel some resistance above it. Eventually, you're able to shove your way through, and you hear kind of like a as you push someone off of the aft storage uh, trap door. You poke your head up, and you see the aft storage area. It's a low-ceilinged closet uh, about 20 feet deep at the rear of the cugboat. It has no lights. The walls are lined with shelves. Behind the shelves are columns of steel anchor points for creatures to strap down their possessions, just like in the four storage area. Um, and the back feet, five feet or so of this storage area is still littered with garbage and stuff from the crash. But the rest of the room has seen the shelves converted into bunks with bed rolls and the floor lined with more bed rolls for some of the overflow of monks. And so you've just like pushed a sleeping kid basically has just rolled off of the, the trap door and like thunked onto the, not, I mean, you didn't hurt them or anything, but they just like thunk, got like jarred out of sorts. Um, the room is, oh, is perfectly, okay? it, well, actually it's not. It was perfectly dark. Now people are blinking uh, in the weird uh, kind of glow of a, a cipher of light that's mounted to the ceiling that's just flickered on. Um, and so you like poke your head. It's like this thing turned on. They all kind of woke up blearily. And then you poke your head up and this little kid like flopped to the side. So everyone's looking over at you, but they're blinking and kind of like rubbing their eyes. And, and yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, routine maintenance uh, <laughs> um I, I just pull myself out of the vent uh dust myself off uh <laughs> they're all just pat, looking at you they don't really know what to say i pat the kid like yeah sorry about that i didn't know you were on top of there um That's fine. uh yeah don't mind me we're getting the the lights fixed and everything uh uh do i spot a like a light switch somewhere yeah, there's a switch somewhere near the door. Like as you, if you were gonna leave right, here and right. go back to the I'll, main stairs, I'll, I'll I'll turn these lights off. Everybody, don't don't you. Uh, anyway, and I just turn the lights off and leave. <laughs> okay, you hit the light switch and you leave out of the the door. Um, this is this is a storage area, so it's just kind of a plain wooden door. But through it, you now find yourself back in the main stairs near the back of the ship. So it's that spiral staircase, kind of nice carpeted flooring. Um, beneath you is another hatch. You could get back into the underbelly, or directly ahead of you is just a long corridor with the main cabins on the left and right. And these two, the, the cabins are, um, you know, they're, they're single person cabins, but each of them probably has two bunks or two bedrolls in it right now. Uh, just kind of cramming people in as much as you can. Um, but the cat, it's, it's a 40 foot corridor, smooth sanded wood flooring. There's a line of bunk rooms on each side, 10 bunk rooms on each side. And each room is big enough for a single medium sized creature to comfortably be. There's like a bed, um, there's a little like, you know, shower area, just like there is in the crew quarters with the cipher, um, all the kind of all the stuff you would need for life. There's a little cabinet that serves as your closet um, about the size of an adventuring pack. And each one has a light in the ceiling, which they now have light switch control of. Um, and okay. that's what you that's what you see. You also, as you walk down uh, the like I said, the smooth sanded wood floor, you see another one of those stamps of that sigil, um, the circle that's like a labyrinth, but you can't get to the middle. Um, Hmm. Another one of those has just been stamped on the floor. I'm just going to walk through, see if I hear any commotion, anybody having problems. 
You know, uh, just kind of roll a perception check. Up, 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 up. I got an Adobe pop up. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, I got a 17. 17. You don't hear any outward commotion, but you do hear some grumbling and some mumbling from some of the monks who are, um, they, they seem a mixture of upset that they're crammed in a tight space. They're a little bit upset that a bunch of their guild was left behind. Like they feel either personally responsible or like they've been, you know, misled or whatever. Um, and they're, they're also, you hear a one or two of them very quietly grumbling to each other about whether it would be more prudent to turn the, like turn over the people who the Aboleths were after and just like sail off, not in any danger. Um, and they're just kind of having that conversation. You also see Sol Eris, the halfling, uh, one of the the council that leads the uh, Society of the Silver Sky. She is just quietly going from room to room. She's still wearing her monk's robes, her sleeves, um, you know, long enough that she can kind of tuck her hands in. And she's just going from room to room. She has a little candle that's now extinguished, but she's just been kind of whispering, you know, quiet reassurances and kind of helping calm some of the monks, leading some of the kids in like a meditation to calm them down. And so she's just basically trying to be like a little bit of a, a, a peaceful influence on the on the crowds. But everyone's like a little restless and uncomfortable, as you would expect from being crammed on a boat. Fair enough. Um, hey, uh, Solaris, right? Uh, yes, hello? Um, when we get a chance later, maybe over dinner, uh, I just wanted to, like, check with you on how everybody's doing. Um, kind of, I guess, do a quick little chat, make sure we're, we're all good, we're on the same page kind of stuff. Is that good? Yes, I think we can arrange that. All right. In the meantime, uh, do you need anything? I'm just kind of familiarizing myself with my surroundings. So. No, I don't have any particular needs at the moment. Thank you, though. Okay. Um, is there anything of note at the back of this hallway? I'm assuming it just like ends. It just kind of ends in a flat wall. On the other side of that wall is engineering, where you know Alden right. is just tinkering away. So it just kind of ends in like a, you know, maybe there's like a floor length mirror on there, you know, something to make it feel a little bit more open, but it, it's just a wall. In that case, uh, I'm going to head all the way back to the main stairs. Uh-huh. Uh, head up to the main deck and check out the old spa. Sure. Uh, so you head up the spiral staircase, open the hatch. Um, up above you in the nest is Radford. I don't know if the two of you interact or, or not, but the old spa is... I see him, I see him down there. You just see him. Um, the old spa is... A, it's a room with some nice big windows. It's up on the, the main deck, so it um, it's not part of the pressurized area of the ship. Um, but in this room, there are several massage beds that have been turned into a makeshift table by covering them with just a huge slab of wood. And that table is laden with maps and documents and all kinds of stuff that was just like grabbed from the sunset house. There's not a particular rhythm to it. It was just like someone somewhere thought this might be important. So we grabbed a pile of it and brought it with us. Um, but you've got, you know, your map of Uradas on there and some other stuff. And right now there's nobody else in there, but this would be the room where, you know, if you needed to like gather with kind of the, the other leaders here, you know, like Alan and Radford and everyone, this is probably where you would gather and talk about things. It's an area that the monks have been asked not to enter just to leave you some space to like have those kinds of conversations. Um, gotcha. And 
um, it, you know, there's still kind of a dull sound of the wind outside, but the windows have shutters just like the underbelly does. So you're able to kind of hold them shut with those heavy chains. Um, and it's, it's mildly chilly, but again, because the windows are shuttered, it's not like the wind is scouring at you the whole time you're in here. Um, you can actually smell like just a hint of the, whatever perfumes or oils or whatever were used in, in like its previous life as a spa kind of soaked into the boards, you know, cause the boards were frozen. So all that stuff was preserved and then we thawed it back out again. So there's like just a little hint of like essential oils, <laughs> you know, in the air. Um, and some lavender perhaps. Yeah. Maybe some lavender. Uh, and that's what's going on here in the old spa. Okay. Um, Figuring that I'm reaching towards the end of my tour anyway, I'll start just looking at what's on the table, see if there's anything that really, like, sticks out or is interesting. I know most of it's probably just going to be maps or information we already know, but... Sure. Uh, go ahead and roll an investigation for me. It was a great roll. The best <laughs> of rolls. It was the best of rolls and the worst of rolls. It was a 13. A 13. Uh, so you, you sift through the papers for a little while. It's probably getting towards the afternoon by this point in the day. Um, and Fox, you, uh, you definitely find there are several maps of Urida. And the reason there are several is so that you can like mark them up and write stuff on them. So like one of them has a, a marking of where you've seen armies and like Gaim is circled as like, oh, this is like the little safe haven, but most of the rest of it is X'd out, you know? Um, mm. There's one that is where Alan's been trying to predict what the air currents might be like up here to try and help get more efficient travel for the airship, but he didn't have a lot of time, so it's like just a couple hastily, you know, written things or little notes to himself in the margins. There's another one that's perfectly blank. Um, you also find at least one book um, of the 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 book of diverging paths, which is the holy book of Kotix, and it's you know Kotix is the is the um, god of choice for the Society of the Silver Sky, so they would have wanted to have at least one of those with them. So they probably just grabbed that and like threw it in your pile, whether you wanted it or not. You know, um, <laughs> there's uh, some different like random tomes almost like different books of like ah oh, this is the legal history of Aspesh from the year 9006 to the year 9016 or you know stuff like that where they just again stuff has been kind of grabbed at random like maybe this will be helpful um, there's a couple studies on magic that Jeb found and thought would be useful one of the spell books that he went through um, things like that you see um, some different notes from when Owlin and Bruiser and B Street were trying to get the ship built. They have like, you know, basically a couple like to-do lists and things they had written for themselves of like, we could come back to that task and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, okay. But you don't find anything in particular that's like new or surprising or anything like that. Um, as Fox is doing this, um, Radford, are you just hanging out on the top of the ship or do you want to go somewhere else or like kind of what's Radford, what's Radford's vibe at this point? He's had a little time to chill out, had some alone time, you know? Yeah. He's kind of sorted through his thoughts and kind of spent a little bit of, a little bit of the time just surveying the area, just making sure no spooky white avalith dragon is flying up from behind or, you know, anything like that. Yeah, so far it does not seem that way. Okay, well, if he looks a good bit behind us and a good bit in front of us and um, doesn't see anything immediately dangerous on the horizon... Just clouds. I'm gonna... Yeah, I'm just going to... Uh, like, can can we see the ground from here, or are we, like, no, above the clouds? the clouds are too thick. You're, like, above okay. the cloud line. Um, I'm gonna message to, uh, like, pull up the sending stone and be like, uh, hey, guys, I think I'm gonna... 
done peeing up here. Can we send up a replacement to keep a lookout? I'm gonna check in on my people. Um, I am in the middle of steering the ship, so I cannot leave my post. <laughs> Uh, yes, I can uh, take a brief leave from the en- engineering bay and grab. I mean, it doesn't have to be you. It could be just be so, like, is there some? I'm just up here by myself. Could you like yeah. just the next person you see? Also, you could just send somebody up. We also need to start training people on operations of the ship because we cannot stay awake for minimum seven days straight. Uh, yes, I I agree. Um, Sounds I will, like we need a meeting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, a meeting sounds good where we in can establish cockpit, training. I can't leave. Well, yes, remember, I think you can uh, technically leave the cockpit. The ship will just either go straight or be subject to the winds, right? Like, it's not like it's going to crash because the wood is naturally buoyant. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, you guys made like a like a like the room below me is like a gathering place, like a meeting room, right? Yes. Does it have one of these things in there? Uh, does it? Yeah, am I hearing them talk, I guess? I, while I'm shift like through? Uh, sure. It's a spa, so I wasn't sure. I don't I mean yeah. I wasn't I don't have one in there on my notes, but I think it would be practical to have one there. Um uh, so Alan sure. may have to install it because in the original way that the ship was built, it doesn't make sense for it to be there because okay. it was a spa. Um so either way, uh uh, no, I don't believe that there is one since that was a spa before we, yeah. you know, converted it into the planning room. Um, what I will do is I will take a brief leave from the engineering bay. I will get the word out um, that we will do a meeting in, let's say, two hours. Um, and then... Uh, on the deck? Lots of room for people to spread out? Uh, yes, I, I think that or in works. the mess hall, maybe that's kind of a big place. Um, I think, I think the, it, the deck may be better for people to spread out and get fresh air. Um, okay. and, uh, we will go from there. Does two hours sound like enough time for you, Bruiser, to be able to set us on a course where if we take a 30 minute meeting, we'll be fine. Um, that's wholly dependent on the weather and winds. Well, I will, I will I check see back any weird weather you. from up here. So. Unless something blows in really quick, uh, like I mean, I just kind of like survey all all around me real quick. DM, do I see any like no dark up above clouds, the clouds brewing up above the clouds? It looks fine. Um, it looks fine up here. And also, Bruiser, you know, like if you're on the deck for your meeting, you'd be able to see weather blowing up too. That's what Al yeah, was okay. about to say. Yeah, yeah, um, I should be able to to leave post for a little bit. That's that's what I figured. So let's do a meeting in in two hours, and then we will. Uh, set a course of action for training uh, people to operate the different systems as well as uh, establishing a shift schedule. Oh, beans. And I'm going to go and, down. And brick. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang that up, and I'm going to go down to uh, to the main deck. Sure. Be like looking for... Uh, fox i just saw fox okay yeah so you're standing on the main deck you look around for him you don't see him anywhere so you assume like the only place he can have gone is into the old spa um because it hasn't been that long it's not like he would have crossed the whole hundred especially fox um would not have crossed the open main deck very quickly (laughs) um or i suppose he might have sprinted 
Um, but anyway, you you also probably hear the sound of like papers rustling and stuff from the old spa. And so you turn around and enter the old spa and uh, you look in again, same thing, Fox saw, you know, you, the wind kind of recedes to a dull rush outside. The chill kind of recedes to more of like a mild chill. Um, and there's Fox looking at the table, kind of just flipping through papers casually. Hey, punk. What's going on? Uh, oh, hey, Bradford. Uh, just kind of looking at what we're working with, I guess. Are you, uh, are you holding up in this uh, high up place? Uh, well, until you mentioned it, I was doing a really good job of pretending that I wasn't. <laughs> oh. Well, now that I mentioned it, how you doing? You all right? You need a little something to take the edge off? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I'm just, I'm just gonna, um, I'm just gonna look down at these papers. I'm not gonna look down. I'm gonna look, I'm gonna close my eyes for a bit, and we're gonna pretend you never mentioned the fact that we're thousands of feet up in the air, ready for my death to just plummet down to the ground, uh, and, uh, you know. I mean, it'd be a good way to go, but that's beside the point. What's, uh, what's this map here? Is this, uh, this, is this where we're at? Map, map, uh, yeah, okay, so, right. Um, I was looking at through these maps, uh, here, let me get an unmarked one. Here we go. So, uh, this is where we had the drop off. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. You're on, uh, where'd you get those clothes? You're wearing different clothes. Don't you normally wear like your armor? Oh, uh, <laughs> I know usually you see me wear the same thing, but I actually, I can change this to whatever I want it to be, and I change it to, like, a little jester's uniform. Ta-da! <laughs> it's, uh, very, very useful for, uh, someone of my expertise as I switch my face over to a woman's. Radford gets this really grave look on his face. I switch my face back. Have, have I ever seen... Have I ever seen you change your face before? I don't think you have. I... You're a changeling. I didn't... I thought everyone... You know, that's one of those things that I guess I took for granted working with y'all. Did... Did yeah never tell you? I don't think so. No. I don't know if it ever came up. Yeah, no, I'm... Wow changeling through and through and i do like the wave but as i do the wave i just shift into like a little <laughs> bestial form and then back wow huh i tell you what this adventure keeps surprising me yeah no uh and the this this armor was a you know godsend uh because it's i, I i've I feel like I've had this armor my whole life. That's that's how useful it's been. You know, Did I ever just, tell you I met some changelings? And he like leans over the map. He's like, points oh. out. Where was it? It was right around. You know what? I where where was that uh, commune? The, the little DM? cluster of trees that are south of Athmont, like on the other side of the sea. You can see a little cluster of four trees there. The commune is right down by those. And where was that orc village? Orc village is like slightly northwest of there. It was in the open plains next to that region. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I got that mixed up. Yeah, and he points right there at that little cluster of trees. I uh, oh. went through here and met a, met a bunch of uh, changelings. Really, uh, really nice folk. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm from. Really? Wow, uh, this adventure is definitely full of surprises. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's where my parents are. Where yeah, what's your names? I don't know. If Maybe I met them. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you've ever would have met them. And well, I, I, I mean, they they were always on the move. Oh yeah. I. I, w I wouldn't worry about it. No, I'm not worried about it. I'm sure they, they were really like I met. I met this this lovely couple there. Um, had some tea, talked about cave. That's they, they were the ones that told me about Kelnor, and uh, super nice folk. And uh, I don't know. You probably you probably like them. I don't know. Maybe I, I maybe mean, you know them. That could have been any anybody from there. You know, they were they're all all about Kelnor. I mean, if they're always just changing to, just the way they look, then... so that so that Fox remembers, there are only two changelings in that commune. Oh, really? Yeah, they're just Fox's parents. Are the only two. I changelings thought there. I thought there was more this entire time. No. Oh. Just them. That makes <laughs> a lot more sense. I mean, I guess since they're they're all changelings, you never really tell if they're not shifting around. Just like you, you've been this shape this whole time. I didn't know. But well, I. I are you, are you sure the changelings? I, I know that's like usually a, a little prank. Yeah, the, it was around. the pieces. Peace was their last name, I think. Okay, so they, they might have been my parents. Uh, really? My parents are the actually only actual changelings in that people like to throw like a whole prank on people who are new to the village. Like, oh, we're all changelings. And, Mm. Then my mom and dad run around pretending to be everyone. It's inside jokes. I got it. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. I would abuse the heck out of that if I had that ability. Yeah, they're, they're well, you know, they're pretty chill people. I mean, I definitely have gotten away with a lot of stuff in my time, but that's neither here nor there. Uh... Anyway, um, yeah, no, that's, that's that was probably my parents. Uh, uh, but yeah, no. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, we're here on the map. Um, you know, they really meant a lot to me. Did they uh, help you out in some way, or they did? Yeah, I was uh, kind of lost. Kind of trying to find my way and. I wouldn't have found out about Kay or Kelnor or even know what a vibe was if I wouldn't uh, wouldn't have met them. That sounds they really, like uh, you know, they talked a lot about you. They really love you, and uh, I think they miss you. No, Redford, I don't think I've told anyone this, but sometimes I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. If maybe I'm letting myself get too caught up in this whole 
save the world adventure that perhaps I I should have just headed home and make sure my parents are okay well take it from me if the world needs saving and you don't wrap yourself up in it you're still wrapped up in it I guess. Unless you plan on going to a different world. No, I think, uh, I mean, things are right now. If we all died, it's not like we can go anywhere anyway, right? We're all wow, that's really though. grim. That took a big turn. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. You're, you're, on, um, you're on the right path, though. I don't doubt that. I mean, think about it. If if you weren't on the path that you are, that you've been on so far, you'd have never met me. I'd have never gotten my ship. It's nice having my own ship. <laughs> yeah, I bet. We, we uh, slapped this baby together real quick, didn't we? Alan and the Bruiser did a good job. You know, it's good, though. It's good to remember... The people that were, well, it's good to remember that when you're working towards something big like this, that you are a link in the chain. And there are other links that were doing things before us, for you. It's another, uh, as I <laughs> say these days, right? Another cog in the machine. No. <laughs> Just another break no. in the wall. It's another... It's another ember in the fire. No, Radford, you have a way with words. Uh... <laughs> it's because I'm a detective, and you need a good vocabulary when you're a detective. <laughs> well, I'm hoping my parents are doing okay right now, wherever they are. Last I saw, they were, hmm, they were a little ill, if I remember, but they were okay. Yeah, uh... It looks like they, they, they gave a lot, and it took a toll, but I, t I tell you what, once, once we're at the end of this, we're gonna have the signs of wear on us as well. Well, that's comforting to think about. I mean, technically, hey, hey. I already have it, and I slap my leg. There you go. With like a metal king. Look at you. Uh, you've already got a, some cool stories to tell. And when it's all said and done, and you've saved the world. All right. Well, now, now let's. That. Hey. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. All right. Well, what's the alternative? So here we go. So. Once you save the world, and you get to pass your story and the deeds you've done on to the next group. Because if there's anything I've learned about my time wandering out in the world, it's there's definitely no short of trouble. That, I think we can agree on. So, uh, just don't tell anyone else, but, uh, I may have been a cause of some of that trouble here and there. 
I would have uh, never guessed it. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sorry. Uh, all right. Let me let me focus here. What's that? So we have to get from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm guessing we're only probably 30 miles, not it, even. It, well, I mean, you've made it through probably three quarters of the day, so you're probably like four four hexes uh, closer. You're probably, in fact, from Stonefield, you're probably over that foresty area next to Stonefield yeah. now. Uh, I'd say this is a large margin, but probably somewhere over this forest. Um, and you can't see down thought. past the clouds, so... You want to stop by your place and pick up your folks? Or say uh, hi? I don't know if we have the time, but if we have the... Yeah, I'd love to pick them up. I I know we're a little overweight, but surely we can handle two changelings. We're not exactly known for being dense. Well, physically, I am, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh... Yeah, uh, I'm looking at the time. You know what? Uh, I mentioned to Solaris about trying to set up a meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we can try to get that rolling. Okay, we can talk about it. Uh, maybe as that happens, Alan makes his way in. Uh, we're going to try to have a meeting on the main deck in, uh, I would say, probably... An hour and a half, two hours, um, to just discuss uh, where we go from here, and as well as um, training people on how to operate the ship and making sure we have rotations. That's a good idea. I like the mental picture of Alan walking around the ship and doing the IRL version of, in case you didn't see my email half an hour yes. ago. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, oh, um, are we going to have a meeting afterwards in here? For uh, yes, I think I sensitive? think that makes sense. Okay. Yes, I think that makes sense. All right. Uh, can we invite Solaris to that meeting? Uh, can uh, you CC yeah. Solaris on that one? <laughs> uh, yes, we, we can let Solaris know. I'm just making the rounds to let people know. But yes, I'll talk to Solaris. Okay. Then, uh, all right. Uh, Fox looks over to Radford. A little bit more respect, I guess. He's always respected Radford, but just more realizing that there's someone there for him as well just like jeb and uh nods his head let's get to this meeting then i guess okay in in an hour and a half to two hours got it <laughs> and radford's yeah. going to uh pull a little scroll out of his bedroll okay a little scroll case and pop the top and pull out a whole bunch of rolled up papers and scrolls and stuff this is all of the studies that he's done on K, um, and gotcha. like his, like his observations and his detective work that he's done in his travels before all meeting right. the party and all of that stuff. And he's just gonna lay it all out on the table and kind of weigh it down with stuff and just use the rest of this time to start pouring through it. Sure, uh, Bruiser, Allen, and Fox, what are you up to? Allen, just like I said. Yeah, I mean, it's only going to take Alan like 10 minutes to finish spreading the word. So uh, and then he'll up. go back to the engineering room until the meeting is supposed okay. to be in. Um, Bruiser will just stay in the cockpit until it's time for the meeting and then um, make okay. sure 
like final check, make sure there are no winds or anything to steer the ship off course and then hit. Sure. Since there's probably like an hour or two, Fox will spend that time searching the four. I don't expect to make a lot of progress, Ooh. but just seeing if I can't find any of that manifest. Sure. Searching through the, uh, through the rubble there. Why don't you roll um, an investigation? It's a it's decent a fifteen. A fifteen. Um, okay. So as you begin searching through the the rubble and and like you said, you know you're kind of digging at the edge of it. In in about the first half hour, you mostly find broken things because you're at the the top end of the pile, right? These are the things that like hit walls right. and stuff. They weren't necessarily insulated by other rubble. Um, you do find a small jewelry box that um, kind of like crushed against the wall and it has three charms in it, um, like little bracelet charms. Um, All right. They are like um, silver charms with some kind of like blue something inlaid in them. Um, and you're pretty confident they're magical. As you pick them up, the, the bard in you feels a little something uh, in there, but you're not sure exactly... Um, exactly what they are or, or what they would do without some examination. Um, you also find uh, a, a shred of paper, like a, it's been ripped um, in, the, in the accident, but you find a shred of paper and it says HIPS manifest at the top of it. Um, so you're pretty confident that it was part of the ship's manifest and underneath of it, um, you see that same sigil, um, the labyrinth with the, the thing at the center, um, and then next to it, um, you see um, whatever they named this ship before. That's a name I probably should have worked out but didn't. The SS Boat. <laughs> uh, it's called the SS Boat is what it used to be called. And so it has like a little logo and then SS Boat next to it. And it's um, an acronym, right? Boat. B-A-O-T. It's BOAT. Yeah, and it is an acronym. Uh, chat, if you want to fill in the acronym for us, by all means, go for it. Um, you find... Um, the ripped cover of a spell book um, with some wizard's name written in like a fancy, you know, like Dr. Scratch, you know, it's like some signature, but it's, it's not that it's a language you don't know. It's that it's written into unintelligibly um, some kind of like signature inside the, the cover there. You find some rope harnesses. Um, you find three working rope harnesses that you could, you could anchor onto the ship. Um, and so you're just kind of digging through. There's plenty of stuff that's just spoiled or rusted through or whatever. Um, you even find a couple weapons. You find two pikes, um, although one of them is kind of rusted beyond repair. Um, and <laughs> uh, oh, you're not chat. You're wash. Um, uh, it's me. Uh, okay, so so that's what you find in your in your first search, and it takes about a half hour. You can continue searching if you'd like to. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to continue searching until the meeting. Sure. Uh, okay, go ahead and roll with advantage then, and we'll just do like one big investigation for the rest of your time. Can I take 20? <laughs> um, taking 20 is a variant rule in 5e that I don't think we use. Oh, I wasn't sure. I, I, I just, eh, sure. something I thought of. You can take 20. That's fine. You've got an hour, and there's really no pre- I'll Here's All what right. I'll do. I'll roll a tension die. So if you take 20 and you roll, we get a complication, which I'm going to have to clear the whole pool. You're going to take 10. Um, but if I don't, you get the 20. Okay. Fair. Okay. Okay. Fair. Okay. So here's the I wanted first to one. say now no that you've agreed to this, uh, it's stuck on the edge. <laughs> yeah. I rolled, uh, Ooh, two nice. nat ones at, for my <laughs> advantage roll. Nice. So, um, <laughs> 
There are no complications in there. So you do successfully take 20. Um, you Okay, so you go searching through, and now you're getting methodical. Now you're on the trail. You're on the scent. You've realized there's some interesting stuff in here. I wonder what else is in there. Um, you find an intact jewelry box with uh, 3D6 charms in it. You're going to roll the 3D6, um, and this one is labeled and stuff because it's intact. Um, they're different from the ones you found the first time. These ones are labeled as air bubble charms. Um, you find 3D6 charms of air bubble. You find a disguise kit. You guys might want to, somebody might want to maybe type these in the Discord on, on Cleo's behalf as I read through what we find here because there's a lot to see. Um, you find a disguise kit. You find an herbalism kit. Uh, actually, you find two of those, two herbalism kits, a mess two kit, herbalism kits. two writing kits. You find two nets. You find a cloak of billowing. Uh, you find uh, <laughs> you find a um, what looks you're almost certain it's a spell scroll, but you can't read it. Um, whatever's written on there, um, okay. it's so it's probably written for like someone other than a bard. Um, but there's there's a spell scroll in there. Um, you find a number of um, bottles of potions. Uh, you find. Uh, six bottles of Potion of Greater Restoration, but 1d4 of them are damaged. So let's have maybe Trevor roll, and let's see how many of them oh, are damaged right. to see how many are intact. Uh, two are damaged. Okay, so you find four Potions of Greater Restoration. Um, you also find 20 Potions of Greater Healing, but Jake's going to roll 3d6 to find out how many of them were damaged in the accident. Greater healing? Yes, or whatever the one step up from just a normal health potion is. So not lesser healing, not normal healing. It's how many? Healing, how many, super how many total were there? There are 20 minus your 3d6. Uh, okay, so there are 13 damaged, which means there's seven. Okay, seven potions of, I think it might be superior healing. It Superior is the top one. Okay, it's, one down from that. It's healing, greater, and superior, I believe. So greater. Yeah. Um, okay, and then so four superior then? No, no, no superior. superior. All greater. Yep, seven, oh, seven, seven, seven greater, greater healing. Uh, you also find a rope of climbing. Nice. A rope of climbing? Yes. Mm -hmm. Those are cool. Um, Jeb wishes he was up here. Yeah, I know. Poor dude. Um, how many uh, spell slots of your highest level do you have? Fox. Are you talking to me? Yeah. What's your highest level uh, spell slot, and how many do you have? I think my highest level is only two. Okay, never mind. Uh, you find a... Um, there's a, a book that looks like a manual of some kind, like a small field note-sized book, but you can't read what's written on the cover of it. Um, okay. You... Uh, let me see if there's anything else you find in here. Well, you took 20, so you find a lot of it. Um, you find... A uh, magic ring. You're not totally sure what it does um, at like first glimpse, but you're pretty sure that it requires attunement to get to whatever the the item is. Um, for your notes, because okay. we're gonna forget which things you found, it's a ring of free action, um, but you haven't deciphered what it what it does yet. Okay. 
Um, you also find a spell book, the one where the cover was ripped off. You find the rest of that spell book, and it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven spells in it. Um, and okay, so you find those things, and then you also find a couple other ship's documents as you're searching through. Um, Ooh. you find a. Uh, a list of destinations, like an itinerary for the ship. Um, okay. And you can see that it was meant to tour like the world's great landmarks. So the Frozen Fang was one of them. The Jungle of Songs was one of them. Um, the City of Stainless was one of them. So it was kind of like going to do a tour of all these landmarks, and it was going to end at the Pillars of the Eternal Vigil, um, which are mm. the three towers that stretch up into the sky. That was its final Ooh. destination. Um and you also find documentation that um, the ship was a reward for financial patrons of, and then that sigil again, that you don't know what the sigil means, the circle with the labyrinth. Um, and So it was like a reward, basically, for people who who gave money or who sponsored the work of whatever this guild was. Um, have, have we seen the Summit Banking Guild logo ever? Uh, you haven't yet, but Fox is about to. Uh, okay. Under the list of donors who were supposed to be on the ship, uh, you see a bunch of them, but you recognize the name of Sir Topham Sav uh, with the Summit Banking Guild logo right there next to his name, and then some ungodly amount of gold pieces that were donated to this organization by the Summit Banking Guild. Um, you also, finally, as you get to the end, you find a crew roster for the ship, you don't know any of the names of the crew. They don't mean anything to you. They're not people of significance to Fox and his understanding of the history. But you do see that at the bottom, this one finally has some like letter mark on it or postmark. Um, and this ship was owned by the Wizards of the Exalted Ring. Uh, it's not a guild you've ever heard of. Um, they were a very reclusive guild. And so I don't think any of the characters have heard of them. Maybe Owlin with his study in the Aos Lore Foundation Tower. But you, the players, might remember that that is mm-hmm. the small little conclave of wizards who live at the top of one of those great pillars. Um, so true. the ship belonged to them, not to Kay. Um, it's not a, a party airship. It's one of their With, their with a 14 on uh, history, does Owlin know about them? Yes. Um, if okay. told about them, Alan will will know. So we'll assume okay. that that information gets shared. Um, yes. But yeah, so this was like a sky tour that was a reward for people who donated money to their research is kind of what you've you've pieced together. Uh, Whatever this guild is, mm. it's a sky tour for people who donated money to their research. Um, the ship was clearly designed by a Darude, like just based on the um, the script of the, the Darude folk that you found around the ship. Um and there's probably even more like interesting magical stuff on the ship just based on the fact that it was a big guild of magi and they were trying to impress people. Um, so you think there's probably more to find than what you found just up here in the, in the four storage area. Um, but that takes up your, your time um, for the next hour and a half as you search through. Um, Bruiser, you are yep. spending an hour and a half in the cockpit of the ship. You're yep. steering. You're trying to put yourself on a good course so that you can step away from the controls as you're steering, uh, there is a little bit of an unfortunate occurrence, which oh, is no. that um, you hit like maybe some some slightly turbulent air, whatever, nothing you can't handle. But in the slight jostling or creaking, just like normal ship's movement things, um, a little swarm of, of something uh, gets disturbed and begins coming out of the mostly hollow wood panels 
and the floor, a little swarm of scarabs comes out of there and begins scampering oh, no. across the floor towards you. Um, they, as they, as they rush towards you, little like beetle-like legs skittering across, uh, little like pinchers kind of sticking out in front of them. They just leap towards you and begin climbing up your legs and trying to attack you, having been like jarred or dislodged by by the motion well, in the cockpit. Could he have just jumped up in the air, or do they fly? Uh, he can jump in the air, but they have a jump speed or a, a jump, like a pretty significant jump, speed. jump not jump speed, a jump strength. <laughs> like they could jump towards you as well. So they can roll to attack you still, um, okay. but I would give them disadvantage on the attacks. So yeah, he's going to like fly around the room and just like swing at them with his rapier as, as he's circling them, hoping that it makes it harder for them to hit him. Okay. Uh, the little swarm uh, as they rush outwards, um, they whoo, leap up into the air, little little beetle-like legs cr- climbing and crawling, and they make a little pile on each other, and they're rushing towards you. Bruisers kind of dancing around them, dancing around them. They're going to roll to hit at disadvantage because Bruiser's airborne. That's a 11 to hit. What's Bruiser's AC? That hits? No, it misses. Okay, it misses. Um, so they, they missed. Uh, Bruiser takes a slash at him. Go ahead and roll to hit. You're trying to beat a 13. Okay. Uh, a 25. A 25. Um, with a 25, you are able to hit them. Go ahead and roll damage. Seven. Great, seven. Uh, you you skewer seven of them with your rapier as they kind of leap towards you. They're almost lined up in the air, you know, and so you're able to kind of stab through a bunch of them. But you feel like you haven't even gotten through like a third of this this swarm of, of beetles. So they're rushing towards you. I'm going to roll a tension die for every round that you're distracted by combat. All right, we've already hit one. Uh, the ship begins listing uh, to one side as Bruiser is flying around. Um, Alan, basically everyone who's not Bruiser, make a dexterity save um, to keep your feet as the ship begins listing to port. Um, and Bruiser, uh, uh, Alan got a nat twenty, and he would like to um, start like he'll he'll over the sending stones. Uh, Bruiser, is everything okay? Uh, you'll just hear ah die die. <laughs> Alan, uh, okay, will, that's what you we'll hear. Go up uh, we'll, we'll try to get up to the cockpit as, as fast as he can. Sure. Like It'll take Olive's two on rounds. a toothpick, Bruiser has beetles on his rapier. That's right. Yeah. I uh, got a 22. Okay, you're fine. I got a 18. Yep, you're also fine. So you all keep your feet, and you know some of the monks who are around wherever the rest of you are are kind of like, oh, what's going on? You know, they're a little bit disturbed, but ultimately, it's so far, it's fine. Um, the... Uh, ship's kind of leaning to to one side as the next round begins. They're going to roll to hit again at disadvantage while Bruiser's in the air. That's a four plus their mods of four is not going to hit it. Uh, so no. they're still like chasing towards you. They don't hit you. Um, what, uh, Bruiser, it's your turn. Uh, would I be able to like nudge the steering wheel and end attack in the same turn no okay you can grab uh, the because i mean it's a big ship so you got to like steer the rudder like there's force in there so you can either put both hands back on the steering anchor your feet on the floor and steer or you can continue fighting uh he'll continue fighting okay uh 24 to hit that hits nine damage 
nine damage. You feel like you're maybe getting through the first third of this little swarm as they as they attack you. Um, and the uh, ship continues kind of listing to one side. Let's see if it gets any worse or if it's just going to lean in. Alan's trying rate. to dash up to uh, where, where cool. Bruiser is, obviously. Yep. Uh, one more round and Alan's there because he's, he's got to get through the storage area, which Dash is going to make him get through normally, and then he's got to climb the ladder. So two rounds and then Alan will join. Um, Bruiser, we're at the top of the round. They're going to attack with disadvantage. Ooh, you, you lucked out that they have disadvantage. That was a nat 20 and a 15 plus four is 19 to hit you. 19 does hit. Okay, I'm going to roll damage it's for not him. a crit, which is important. Yeah. Yeah, that is important. Oof. You take 17 points of damage. As the swarm finally latches onto you, and they begin actually like burrowing into you. Oh, jeez! Um, they're like, yeah, they're like digging and swarming, and and it's a whole thing. Um, now that they've latched onto you, their attacks would have advantage. So because it was disadvantage, it'll cancel out. Um, yep. It's your turn. Uh, attacking them. Yep. I don't want to think about it. Ugh. Seventeen. Seventeen is enough to hit. Eleven damage. 11 points of damage. The swarm is for sure below half um, half of their numbers. As Owlin bursts into the room, the hatch kind of flying open under the speed of his dash. You jump up to your feet. Bruiser is in the air, kind of right above the, the ship's wheel. Maybe even his feet are like a little bit touching it, and that's why it's like bouncing back and forth a little bit. He's got all these beetles like latched onto his legs and stuff, and they're kind of like burrowing. Um, He's, he's killed most of the free ones, but there's still like it's a swarm. There's a bunch of them, um, and that is what happens is you because you've just entered, you can go at the top of round order, and then we'll continue on to the others. How fireproof is the area that we're in? Uh, the floor and wall behind you are made of wood, and the okay. the lens for the cockpit is made of ice. Yep. All right. Not fireproof at all. <laughs> uh, Vulnerable to fire, one might say. Um, <laughs> Alan will, uh, I guess, you know, try to clean him out with the scimitar of speed, like kind of <laughs> do some slices. Um, so he'll he'll do his uh, three attacks. Okay. A 12, a 26, and another 12. Okay, only the 26 hits. It's probably because okay. you're trying not to cut Bruiser up. That makes Probably. it so difficult to like hit the swarm, but you do get at least one good slice, just kind of like almost like you're shaving his his hair, you know, like you just go right along the length where a bunch of them are burrowing and you cut some of them free. Eight mm. damage. Eight damage. There's only mm. like one or two of them left at this point. They're gonna take their attack to try and um, continue messing with Bruiser here. This is a disadvantage, or no, it's just Pineapple. normal. It's a normal roll. I'm sorry. Pineapple. I'm gonna clear those and roll again because I don't know which one went first. Um. Here's their normal roll. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's a nat 20. Oof. So uh, what's your new character going to be, Trevor? <laughs> they deal. Our pilot gets assassinated. I know, right? We do double dice, right? Or do we do double the number of damage? We do double dice. Okay. We have been, yeah. We used yeah, to yeah. do double the number of damage, and then recently we switched to double Got dice. Got it. Oh, it's not good. Um. Okay. I mean, you had me not good at 20, so, you know. 
19 points of damage uh, from the remaining two beetles as they like, they have fully burrowed in and are like drawing blood Ugh. and it's like, Ugh. yeah, they're, they're going for it. You begin to feel something, um, maybe get dropped into your bloodstream a little bit and you make a uh, constitution save. Oh no. Uh, where did these things come from? They the scuttered out of the wood they were frozen somehow. in the boards. Uh, that is oh. a four. That's a four. You are also conditioned poisoned for the next uh, basically day or until you get some healing and you take 1d4 of poison damage as their little pinchers drop some poison into you. Two points of poison damage. Uh, poisoned is just a creature's... Dis- uh, the condition is yeah. disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. Okay. Yes. And how much damage you said? Two more points. Okay. Uh, and that brings us around to Bruiser's turn. Are they counted as flanked because Alan's here? I don't think so because they're... Well, I guess it's a swarm. I don't know if a swarm can be flanked. Mm. Sure. Um, then I get normal roll because... Uh, hang on. Let me check here. No, because it says... Okay, no. Under the swarm rules, it says a swarm can occupy another creature's space and vice versa, um, and it okay. can move through any... Yeah, so it's it's not a flanking situation because okay. they're in your so space. Just disadvantage then. Yo, I'm going to flank this wasp. <laughs> that is stinging me <laughs> yes say again 18 18 is enough cool just need to beat 2 HP there's 2 of them left uh, I have a plus 4 modifier so I okay think yep so you finally damage. kill the last the last couple of them and you kind of plop back to the deck I'm going to roll one more tension die as you fall back to the deck um, luckily, you don't land on the ship's wheel. So, although the ship is listing, um, it hasn't like rolled yet. Um, but Bruiser it's you know it's getting towards sixty or seventy degrees. Bruiser will correct for us now. Okay, uh, roll a survival check. Where did those come from? Uh, five. There's... Oh, uh, is that with your proficiency bonus? It's for for a vehicle. Oh. Uh... I, oh, sorry. Um, then I can't roll below a 10, so that would be 14. 14. Um, okay. It takes a while to right the ship again, but you are able to get the ship righted and steadied and whatever as Alan is kind of in there watching or helping you. Whew, that was uh, very unexpected. They just hopped out of the floorboards. Quite interesting. They may have been hibernating inside of the wood. I guess we didn't really have time to check for wildlife that was small like that. I think they would have um, popped out a lot earlier, though. You would have thought. However, maybe not all of the ship was thawed um, fully, at least. Hmm. I don't... I, it would be quite strange. Well, I don't know. It would be quite strange for someone to find a way to let in bugs um, like that. Hatch pops open. Fox pops his head up. Y'all good up here? Yeah. Is everything yes. all right? Um, do, the do room is now have... very cramped as Radford's leaning in the door to the main deck and Fox's head has popped up through the floor hatch. Alan and Bruiser are standing together on the five foot square of space that's you, uh, not occupied by door or hatch. <laughs> you all wouldn't happen to have a cure for what, uh, poison, venom, whatever the, these things have. Ah. Uh. There was a swarm of poisonous beetles that came out of the floorboards. Oh, no. Can I pick one of them up and examine it? Sure. Uh, And Fox Crater Restoration does work on poison. 
Like, because we may have a couple an, potions uh, of that. I think. Yeah, we found a, some ciphers of it. There should be extra. We got like yeah, three or four. Uh, let me let me let me bring that up. Um, bring that up for him. Sure. You bring up a potion of greater restoration from your ones you just found in the storage room. Oh, Here's, cool. Chug this. Thirteen. Okay. Investigation. Thirteen investigation. Uh, they are just like they're just normal scarabs, um, but scarabs are like warm and foresty area beings. It's most likely that they inhabited the tree before it was harvested, and then because they went airborne, they got like kind of frozen, um, uh, or or kind of like went into a state of dormancy or or hibernation or whatever, and then got um, thawed by the. Um, like when all the wood was thawed to put the ship back together, but were not spurred into motion or, you know, like they were still basically unconscious or hibernating or whatever that, that state was until there was some like jarring turbulence and stuff to wake them up. They're native to these trees. so They don't look like anything from the mountain. Um, hmm. That means there might be more of them in the ship. We should probably sweep the ship for these things. Yeah, that's I'm getting into any of the kids. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can talk about that in the meeting. We can set some people up out to do that. Send some level one adventurers to go look for rats in the cellar. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Train <laughs> in the future generations. <laughs> Target practice. Four guys employee training. It is about time for your meeting. Cool. Okay. Well then I Let's will do go a quick do it. Weather check, and then if I feel confident that the ship will stay on course, I will head to the meeting. You feel pretty confident the ship's going to be okay. just fine. Cool. Um, you walk out onto the main deck of the ship. Um, the The sun is, you know, going down towards the horizon. It's almost crossed the clouds, so it's not really sunset. But for you, it looks like sunset um, because you're up so high in the sky. Um, so there's kind of like a, a reddish glow, you know, illuminating across the clouds. It looks almost fiery, um, like a fiery ocean or like a lava, uh, lava pool beneath the ship. The ship just barely touching into the clouds. So it's kind of carving a little furrow. And um, as you kind of look out at all that happening, Sol Eris climbs out of the, the airlock hatch and the rest of you are, are gathered there on the deck. Um, the mountain comes up. He's still got his little chef's apron on. Um, which is way undersized for him. It looks more like a bib um, than like an apron. Uh, and uh, B Street climbs up there looking pretty refreshed from having gotten a little cat nap. Um, and Mockery quietly files up onto the deck, latches a harness to one of the rings on the deck, um, and then sits down to observe or listen or whatever for your meeting. And now you're all here. I guess I just wanted to, uh, and then I don't feel the need to necessarily role play out all of it unless you want me to. But no, Alan to. will just, yeah, Alan will just explain, um, you know, that uh, it's time for people to start get, getting trained on how to work on some of the systems, and he's looking for volunteers to do that so that way we can take shifts, and that way everyone is able to get long rests and you know stay energized, but also take care of the maintenance of the ship as far as the engineering and the steering and the lookout goes. Um, Want to give some expectations for our travel time? Yeah, expectations for the travel time. He'll also um, is he planning about... to tune the thrusters and try and fix that, or is he going to like? Are you going to have those twelve days of of just normal propulsion at the end? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that uh, maybe I misunderstood what you said about what Alan fixed internally. You fixed um, the, the onboard electronics. 
um, earlier. No, with the, with the Nat twenty when he when he first um, saw um, engine failure. B Street. Oh, so that uh, that w- that sounded the... like it was a thruster malfunction. Yeah, but that was a malfunction that you not fixed. The it wasn't it. About, like, I see. You'll need okay. to rappel down the side to tune up the thrusters and get them more efficient. You'll Got have to it. Get I, I must have. Them. I must have misunderstood something. That's uh, okay. So Alan will. He will, Alan will do that. Um, he's hoping to do that once he feels confident that he has someone, um, whether that's B Street or somebody else, trained well enough that they can at least monitor what's going on in the engineering room while he does that. Yeah, B Street um, just offers to like, hey, I'll step up and and you know okay. I'll kind of take over the engineering the engineering room. Um, you know, he kind of knows what needs to be done in there. He just had that one little issue where he wasn't strong enough to tighten down the bolt. But in terms of general upkeep, he could do that. Okay. Uh, well, the then range. then Alan will prioritize that once. But at first, and then he'll prioritize training more people than just B Street to hang out down in the engineering room. Sure. Um, so those will be his two things. But then he'll also mention the Beatles and how some people need to get in a group and sweep the ship for them. Um, and then uh, he'll also mention that he wants he he wants you know X person Y person to meet in the. Um, spa room after this meeting is done and then he'll open the floor for other people to make announcements. Sure. Mockery yeah. says she can go around and do pest control. We will also need to train someone to uh, drive and steer the airship as I cannot stay awake for however long it takes to get to where we're going between 7 and 30 days depending on how fast we go. There are no volunteers. <laughs> uh, I I can definitely uh, help fill that gap, but we 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 need more than just two people. I look pointedly into the crowd. So Eris shrugs and is like, "We brought all the elderly and the infirm with us." Like, <laughs> the mountain can learn, I guess. Um, like he can take a shift as as pilot, but he can't call anybody you know what, if anything goes wrong. Mark, you, Mockery would probably be pretty good at that. She shrugs. Yeah, that's fine. She can do that. Bradford, you've had a little bit of time there. Uh, oh, and we've already established my capabilities with it. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm okay being stretched ish, but uh, I don't. Uh, maybe. How about this? You train me first, then we'll train Mockery, and then we'll train Radford. And we'll use, I'd say that's our priority for, you know, if we have somebody available, who to check with. Sounds To good. take over next shift. Sure. All right. Anything All right, else that you good. need to straighten out as far as details and stuff go? Um, not meeting-wise, but after this, Radford is going to take some time during the remainder of the day and use his herbalism kit and probably pilfer some supplies from those other herbalism kits. And he's going to make some antitoxin uh, to have on hand for the beetle crews. They become poisoned and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then uh, obviously in the meeting after the big meeting, we'll want to the meeting after the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, the show after the show, the tavern within the tavern. Mm -hmm. Um, Alan will want to talk with, uh, like, obviously, um, ask Fox what he found in the storage rooms. Um, 
do you want to just open the next session with that so you can actually have that conversation sure. in character or do you want yeah. to fly through yeah. that now okay let's no no yeah let's let's do that because then also i think I, I bet the conversation with solaris will be important as well so okay sure um so i guess on that note <laughs> on that note tonight's dungeons and dragons adventure comes to a close Woo. thanks everyone for hanging out with us uh, a little bit more campfirey today we got a little bit more interaction between the characters uh, except uh, poor Bruiser confined to the cockpit. Uh, but he's getting It was help. really cool to get to know the ship. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought it'd be fun to have a session where it was more like, hey, we're going to just, you know, figure out the, the, the base of operations for a little while, uh, our little airship time here. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the Cug Boat. Is it, is it like, is there a, a prefix for it, like the SS Cug Boat or anything like that? The f- we had a full name, and then the Cug Boat was the nickname. I'm trying to remember. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know what the uh, full name was. I missed up, that let me part. Pull it up. Uh, was it the something it was a beautiful sun? name? Here we go. It was a great name. The the Happy Orc is the full name. Mm. The Cug Boat is the uh, the SS Happy Orc is the full name. The nice. Cug Boat is the nickname. The SS Happy. The Cug Boat's what the employees call it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, cool. Uh, well, as the uh, as the SS Happy Orc sails happily off into uh, the the night sky, the sunset, uh, the the descending darkness, and the blue hour, and the meeting after the meeting begins in the old spa that's been converted to a war room, tonight's Dungeons and Dragons adventure comes to a close. Thanks everyone for hanging out with us. Um, we've had a great time. We hope you had a great time. We will see you next Monday. And until then, from all of us here at the Winged Badger Tavern, Trevor, what do we tell the people? We tell the people that don't forget about jury nullification and GG and GA.